Let's drop the green flag on this episode of the Talent Tank Podcast with your host, Wyatt Pemberton, bringing you the best, fastest, most knowledgeable personalities in Ultra 4 and off-road racing. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Welcome back. Another episode of the Talent Tank. Big deep dive here. As you guys clicked on today's episode, man, here we go. Levi Shirley. Awesome. Levi, what's up? Nothing, man. Just enjoying a uh, cold, windy Kansas day here, man. Well, you are, uh, you're the driver of the 4,400 driver of the number 81 Campbell chassis car. Most people recognize you for the bright orange, which was, uh, you know, a little bit of Yokohama, a little bit of Maxis, yellow, white, black. I mean, sorry, orange, white, black. Yeah, man. And this year we uh, switched the campaign colors to uh, black and red and uh, on a car better known as a Loretta, uh, which has been my car for the better part of shoot would be five or six years now. I guess 2014 was its full, full season. So, yeah, man. Do you feel like you're racing a dated chassis? You know, some races, yes. Um, primarily when, when we got to go to short course races, I feel like I'm racing a dated chassis. Uh, just the car is super narrow. I think we're 86 inches wide and we're about 112 on the wheelbase versus the cars that I'm competing against are obviously the better part of 90 and 116 plus, which really, really help on the short course. But when it comes to say King of the Hammers or any sort of uh, woods races, I really do not feel dated whatsoever. That's been a solid, solid car. Uh, that car has got me to the finish line more times than I can count. So uh, that old saying of uh, to uh, finish first, first you must finish, that that car is a testament to that and what the Campbells build. I mean, kind of going into that, I mean, I know we're d- deep diving on your interview, like right off the bat, but I don't want to go too deep because I'm, I'm going to drop a carrot here and we'll talk about it later in the show. But uh, you have a new car being built. Yeah, we have a new car being built. Uh, I've kind of kept it quiet for the better part of a year because we've been designing in the better, for the better part of a year. You know, I the car started off as a front engine car and went to a rear engine car and an IFS and it is remaining an IFS car, but you know, I never really knew what to talk about on it. when people would ask me about a new car or whatever, just cause like it would change from day to day. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I just didn't really know how to talk to people about it cause it was evolving and changing. And like, we'd come back from a race and be like, changing stuff like this didn't work at this race. So why would you want to do this on this car? So every thought of this car, we didn't just dive into it. We we've taken the better part of a year, year and a half designing it and uh, stuff we've learned. And yeah, I, I'm super excited to kind of get more wheel travel numbers up front, uh, more horsepower, more fuel, and uh, hopefully it's going to be a killer car. Well, we'll bring that up here when we get, you know, all the way down in the ultra four sections. But, uh, uh, here in the meantime, talk a little bit of current affairs, talk about who you are, where you came from and, and all that jazz. You just got back from trail hero and I think you're wheeling the, the tribe car that, uh, that, that your dad had built the, the Jeep. I mean, beautiful patina. Tell me about that thing real quick. Just short blurb. Yeah. So the sleepster, man, the sleepster came from some guy down in Oklahoma as just a box stock, uh, 1967 Jeepster. And, you know, dad and I were talking one night in the garage going, man, this thing, the patina is awesome. You know, let's, let's, 
let's build it. And, uh, but we want to build it right. And so dad and I were talking about chassis designs and dad and I just, we're great fabricators, but we're not really great on the geometry side of things just because there's a lot to it. Those guys that build those cars, like there's a reason that they're, they build these cars. Like they're, they're obviously extremely talented and uh, good and are very, very experienced. So it was, we wanted to build something that that we couldn't build ourselves uh, to the quality, you know, that we can build. There's the same reason that uh, we drive, you know, Chevys and Fords because we know we can't build as good a quality pickups as Chevy and Ford. So that thing went down to Tribe Four by Four, and it is a monster. Basically, is a 1967 Jeep uh, Jeepster body, and it has all kind of an Ultra Four heritage behind it. So it has like 14 inch uh, 3.0 Kings bypasses front and 16 inches in the rear. It's got trailing arms, LS3, 6L80. Uh, Atlas. I mean, it is just a monster. The guys at Tribe did an amazing, amazing job on that. Just a laundry list of the who's who and the what's what are on that on on that sleepster. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It is. It is just a, an amazing thing to drive. It needs shock tuned something fierce. You know, um, Dad and I built it. We use a lot of my uh, sponsors to to build the car. And, uh, you know, for the intentions that he obviously uses it day in, day out when he's, you know, living in Colorado. And then uh, I get to take shows and do stuff like Trail Hero and and wheel the crap out of it. But, uh, yeah, there's not much need for shock tuning up in the Colorado mountains. So when I got it out to the Utah desert, it was beating the crap out of me. So we need to uh, tune that thing just a little bit. And you might know some guys that do that, right? Yeah, I happen to have uh, some, some some pretty good guys in my corners that can uh, shock you in a car. That's that, that is solid. So uh, as we sit here talking, um, today is actually, you know, we're looking at nationals. Nationals is this coming weekend, and by the time everyone listens to this, sorry guys, but it's on real time. This will nationals will have happened. We will have known exactly what the outcome is of what is going to go down at a. Uh, davis oklahoma we'll all know it'll all be laid out there hopefully there's official results and there's no timing issues or whatever that equals right but it would have happened this past weekend because that's based on the time this airs. so we recorded this beforehand and uh, clearly everyone everyone knows that so levi to caveat that you know i'm going to ask you to handicap the race handicap the 4400 race what do you think the podium looks like well, it's going to be me on the top step, uh, hopefully, <laughs> of course. I'm, I'm going to interject. You can't act about this hopefully. You have to be very, very confident and be like, yeah, it's going to be me. And I'm going to put my, my, my Campbell chassis up there, Loretta. She's going there. She's going all the way to the top of the box. Everybody watch out. Yeah, you know, I think we're just kind of going back to the uh, humble Kansas roots, you know, kind of the way the way like say you and I were raised on that and just like not being like any sort of, uh, I don't know, a, a, a jerk just because like in Kansas, you know, that's that's the way we were raised, you know, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And, and just being humble. And that just kind of, like I said, goes back to our roots. But uh, yeah, I mean. I've had some great luck in Oklahoma. I've had some bad luck in Oklahoma. You know, last year I was obviously, I was poised to win this thing um, and, and lost a left rear hub on the car. So just uh, overall, I've had some bad luck. But as far as the podium goes, you know, I, I'm obviously going to put myself right up there on the top spot. And then it's going to be hard to beat the, those Mil- dang Miller cars, man. This is kind of their, uh, this is their 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 deal. You know, they they are great 
fast going a straight line, which Oklahoma has a lot to offer. And then they're fast in the woods and you just don't get better drivers than uh, Josh Blyler and Eric Miller. Uh, they're, they're, they're pretty uh, good guys to have, and they do have targets on their backs, especially in the points race. So but you finished, was this, was it 2019 that you finished third at Davis? Or is that 2018? I, I get them confused. 2018, because 2019, I lost that hub on the car. So yeah, 2018, we went into qualifying not knowing that uh, my dad pulled my shifter off to give a guy a part number on it. Because the guy, because 6L80s, you can do manual shifting and uh, or electronic shifting. And so they take like a special little momentary toggle shifter. And this guy was asking about it. So my dad pulled it out. And not knowing me, I show up to qualifying and the car won't shift. And I ended up rolling the car because it was in too high of a gear and I just couldn't drive out of this dang flat corner. And uh, I get back to the pits and like, I'm like, dad, this thing will not shift. And he's like, he just gets like this, like crazy look on his face. And he's like, I put the shifter back in upside down on accident. And I'm like, oh no. So anyways, we, uh, we started at the back of the pack that race. And I, and anybody that knows me knows that I love chasing dust I just love the fact that there's no pressure on starting up front. So like there's that nowhere to go, but up mentality. And so starting at the back, I hunted people all day. I mean, I was on it and we ended up losing. I want to say we were outside of first by 50 seconds on the day. And we we're outside of second on like 24 seconds bomb on the day. So starting at the back to, to coming into third was, I mean, it was like an awesome feeling, but of course I wanted to win it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you did good. I remember being at that, the, the race where you end up finishing third and being like, to be honest, I don't even remember who won first or second, but I knew you won third because I remember sticking my head in your window net and being like, that was solid like, to see you, you know, have a tight you know relationship with you and, and to see, you know, that I'm pulling for you and what you were able to pull off was, uh, I thought it was, I thought it was awesome. I was, ex- I was so excited for you just to realize the the fruits of all your hard labor to get to that point. Yeah, totally. Uh, man, I remember my first ultra four podium and, uh, man, that feeling still doesn't go away, you know, standing on that podium at all. Oh no. Right. Well, Hey, so let's jump back. But as we jump back, I want to talk about, we've talked about your dad a little bit here already. Your dad's Brian Shirley. He's a retired 4,400 driver, which we don't have a ton of retired drivers. We have drivers that have quit or fallen out or for whatever, they didn't necessarily just retire from ultra four, but your dad, your dad's retired and he's going to listen to this and he's going to be like, that damn Wyatt, you know, give him a hard time about his age. It, Brian is not that old at all. He's like Doug Jackson, not that old at all, but they've got to a point where they're like, okay, I'm graduating. I'm, I'm going to enjoy my grandkids. And again, not that old, but yeah, your dad, Brian, uh, and your, your dad, he was one of the very first people I met when I started racing in what evolved into being ultra four, but XRA stuff. And there's no one nicer than the Shirley's and your dad was amazing back then. And, you know, guys like Mike McClure that he always had around and just the list goes on and on, you know, uh, a Kelly Hauling, just, I, I mean, you, you know, those guys and you just, you know, on and on and on for days. But that said, I just mentioned, you know, my first, you know, time, how I got into off-road racing and, and I got in because, I got a buggy from Mike Colville out of Michigan. It had some worn out Jesse Haynes, 37 inch Maxis on it. I wanted BFGs, red labels. That was the thing. And really, you know, you could go out and buy, I think at the time they were maybe 400 bucks on like the black market, or you could go race a race. And I was like, ah, let's go race a race. This seems fun. It was the most expensive set of tires ever, you know, it led to the next 
12 years of racing, but um, at, you know, leading up to that, Mike McClure, he's a Nest City, Kansas guy. You're a Kansas guy. You know, you guys race out of Dodge City and me being a Kansas guy as well. And no one across Pirate, I reached out to Mike McClure. I was like, hey, man, you know, kind of give me the ins and outs because your family had been racing uh, XRA in 2007. Maybe even before that, I'd seen your, your, your dad doing some stuff way before that. Didn't know him personally. Mike gave us, you know, a lot of heads up, a lot of hand holding. Hey, what to expect, how to get to this first race. So we show up at that first race, 2008 XRA, XRRA, as I pronounce it, you know, fully at Gray Rock, Alabama. And that was your first race. So <laughs> I know we're going to talk about that, that race further on, you know, f- further down the, the way about what your first race was. But I just want to get that out there that Levi's first race. And here you are at 28. 28 years old and you've made a career out of uh, being a race car driver and me i have not made a career out of a race car driver but our our start point was the same day <laughs> kind of funny right yeah that 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 day is a day that i'll remember forever uh, yeah. it was it was definitely uh oh man that was that was a tough day and i thought like my racing was over at that point in time but i vividly remember you and your crew well, don't, yeah, don't, don't let the cat out of the bag. Cause that story is, uh, it is one to remember at that. So man, yeah, we talked about, you know, Kansas, you guys are Dodge city. You were born in Dodge city, right? And you've grown up there. You've been there your, your whole life, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I've been born and raised here. Obviously went to school here, high school here, college here. Yeah. Still reside here. So and raising awesome. a family and all. And then your, your mom and dad, you know, so, so Brian and Suzanne, by the way, love them. If anyone, if uh, on the lake bed, you're out at King of the Hammers, go by, the, you know, what is now Levi Shirley racing or still people still call it the legacy lucky dog tent. They've got a hospitality tent with their pit that, you know, they've got couches in there. There's always food wives, girlfriends, buddies. I mean, just the, the beer and the cookies and the brownies. And I, I'm dead serious. I probably eat at least one meal during hammers week with your family in that tent. Like somehow we'll stop by for beers. Next thing you know, your mom's feeding us or Miranda's feeding us or somebody's feeding us. It's a uh, welcoming. Yeah. I highly encourage you. If you're listening to this, stop by the tent. Uh, I don't really remember our address, something spider tracks have, you'll see the toter out front. There's going to be a tan, uh, military tent, just a great place to get out of the wind, catch up with people and just take a break from the elements of, uh, of Johnson Valley. Yeah. If those tent walls could talk, right? Like the stories they could recant. I'm kind of glad they can't, honestly, that, that would be, (laughs) that's, that's, that's fair. So, yeah. So your mom and dad, you know, they're, you know, raising you there in Dodge city. And then they, they bailed out a few years ago to move to Colorado to Buena Vista and do this kind of retirement thing. So leaving you and and you stayed in Dodge city and you've got two sisters, right? You've got Samantha who I, I don't think I've ever met. And then Rebecca, who I know I've met. Is that right? Okay. So yeah, I have, uh, Samantha, my, my older sister, uh, her and I are 13 months apart and, uh, my little sister, which is, I want to say about three years younger than I am. Uh, she lives down in Alabama. I mean, both my sisters are, are BA. I mean, awesome parents, awesome. Just in life, uh, highly respect them, highly respect, uh, their spouses. Yeah. So Rebecca just had twins, my little sister. Um, great, great. I mean, she's, she's a fantastic parent. I could not imagine having twins and my older sister has three kids herself. And then obviously I have, uh, my kiddo, Mr. Dawson Payne, Mr. Dawson. 
Well, talking about Rebecca, and I. This, so this is a question about your other, your older sister. Rebecca is highly competitive. She was this competitive like uh, powerlifter, and so she's she won a lot of stuff. So she has that surely competitive gene. You have this surely competitive gene. I know your dad. I know he has it. Does Does your older sister have that? Yeah. So we always make <laughs> we always make fun of uh, my older sister Samantha. She is. 28 years old or sorry, 29 years old. She's done everything in life as you should do it. I mean, it is literally from, you know, high school, uh, going to straight to a four-year college, uh, you know, doing internships, you know, uh, getting a job, uh, getting married, having kids and like following up everything, just like, as you can do it, like as precise, like she has that mentality of just like things should be done. Right. But she has never been a gal that is super competitive in the fact of anything extreme sports. So we call her the normal one. So, so we got to laugh about that. And then my little sister, which is a complete, I mean, nut job, anything she gets started on, she like sees it through. So like she started shooting guns and then she started uh getting into archery and then she got into powerlifting and that powerlifting she took like extremely she has uh national records as far as like deadlift goes and uh what else and state records and she's just like she goes to vegas to go do the powerlifting you know world meets and stuff or whatever they are now she is taking the parenting thing head on and there's no doubt in my mind she's going to kill it on that well that's exciting so i see you know your mom and dad's you know various Facebook post. And so you kind of get to know, you know, when you see people that, you know, having success in what they're doing, it's kind of nice to, to stay in touch with them and, and enjoy their enjoyment. Right. That's uh, I don't know. So that's one thing I think I get the, the best kick out of. I don't think, I think there's some absolute downfalls to social media, but I think there's a lot of, obviously it's been successful because of the upside of that, you know, being able to share in those moments uh, of grandeur with your acquaintances. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people that I follow on social media that I've never met in my life, but I'm so hooked on their life story just because it's so positive and has ups and downs. It's just so familiar to like, say my life or anybody else's life. It just, you know, you kind of get a kick out of just watching them. You're very invested in their life, I should say. Right. Well, and, and you know, where you're at in Dodge City, I know your job and we're going to Again, as we kind of jump forward, I want to throw this out there, but I know this this will ring true with you. And you know, being in you know the cattle business, which you are, when we dig into that here, the grass is not always greener on the other side. So I always have to tell myself that when I'm watching these guys, like whoever they are, and their amazing social media presences, I'm like, well, you have to caveat with it's not always greener. Well, I mean, you got to look at you got to look at social media as a nonstop highlight reel. People don't post the bad stuff, right? They only post the good stuff. And so you only see the good stuff. So you kind of got to take all these social media posts with a grain of salt. Uh, you know, everything day in, day out. Like you said, grass is not always greener on the other side. I like what you said there. Not the grass is always greener, but that it's a constant highlight reel. I haven't heard described that way, but that is exactly, that is ex- exactly what it is with no bloopers. exactly exactly (laughs) oh man so you as a kid man so growing growing up in uh dc there what were you like as a kid were you into sports you know out there it seems like everyone i've met from like garden city dodge city was always big into wrestling from a dude perspective like they were big wrestlers like all the way through high school were you into any sports particularly 
Yeah. So like growing up, I always, you know, wanted to fit in with the norm of, you know, basketball, football, baseball. But, you know, my parents never really pushed me to do anything like that. You know, it was always just me doing it. And I was shoot. I remember like eighth grade signing up to play football. I was like 98 pounds, you know, so like did not hardly even tip the scale whenever I stepped on it. And they actually bumped me up into the triple digits just so I could seem more intimidating on the roster, not having a 98 pound. So, yeah, so I just I was never built uh, to be like an extra like a classic, you know, football, basketball athlete, although I did try, you know, I played football in high school up until my sophomore year, uh, just did not get along good with the coach. You know, I, I, I just like racing. I, I put my heart and soul into it, you know, like weights all summer weights every morning, you know, going about it that way. And then junior year came around, you know, I was obviously kind of out of it on the football side of things. We had a new wrestling coach and that wrestling coach came up to me and was like, Hey, do you want to do wrestling? And I'm like, you know, I always used to make fun of the guys that wrestled, you know, like, ah, wearing tights and like, you know, (laughs) you know, groping other men and this and that. And I'm like, sure, you know, whatever, I'll give it a try. And from that day on, I was hooked on wrestling. I mean, absolutely hooked. So I went out, you know, my junior year, absolutely terrible. I made varsity just because I was a little bit better than the uh, 123 pound kid, I think at that time, bumped up to 132 later. But, uh, you know, I I was had great. I was great muscular. I mean, I I was just built like a wrestler, not built like a football player. Uh, But, you know, my my parents, they pushed me to do that. But the racing stuff always came first. So like, I remember one year I, I qualified for state in wrestling, but it was the same time as King of the Hammers. I had to choose basically racing was more important than wrestling at that time. And, uh, my, my parents just said, you know what, you know, we're, we're obviously heavily invested in the racing side of things. Most of the time with high school sports, very rarely do anything kind of transpire into anything more than just that, you know, we'd rather see you do this. So, yeah, so I, I missed out, you know, a lot on a lot of wrestling stuff or whatever state, you know, to go, to go race King of the Hammers. Well, and there's uh, some good stories around that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah right. uh, oh yeah. Uh, what, 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 absolute man. God, we're dropping carrot after carrot, man. Everybody be like, are they ever going to get to actually any of these great stories that they've been talking about, but we'll get there. What did you want to do when, when you grew up? I mean, you're obviously have a, in theory, uh, a dream job, right? You know, growing up, like I want to be a race car driver. Did you always want to be a race car driver? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the, that was, I mean, the goal, you know, obviously, you know, we started out doing circle track stuff, which is just like very local stuff. You know, I started out when I was eight years old and I was absolutely terrible. I mean, like my, my dad was having to put like uh, new plastics on all the time. And uh, I wrecked more cars than I could count. I won very few races, but I did win some. Yeah. And that kind of eventually led into like kind of these little miniature stock car races that we have, which we, we called them Hornets, but they were uh, four cylinders. That kind of transpired into... Uh, you know, XRA and Mike McClure, my dad co-driving. And then that transpired into me getting a shot at it in a rock crawler. And then where we are today, kind of the rest is history. You know, that cliche term. Well, you know, Mike McClure saying that he, he, he had told me at one point, and this has always stuck with me. Nobody remembers who won. They just remember who put on the best show. 
<laughs> I would probably agree with that. And, and yeah, it t- took that to heart. So, uh, so what, w- what was your first car? Off-road car? No, just first car. On-road. Like on-road? Oh, it was a 1987 Toyota pickup, 22RE. My dad and I spent uh, the winter building it in the shop over kind of my eighth grade year. Uh, we put Dana 44s under front and rear leaf spring front end. My dad had seen this like crazy one link kind of wishbone suspension, uh, on somebody else's Jeep. So we put it underneath the Toyota, kept the 22 RE, put like 38.5 TSLs on it, you know, interco TSLs. And I put underglow on it and I thought it had a silver XO cage. And you know, what's funny about that is. Well, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Like I, I literally thought I was the, you know, big man on campus driving that thing, but that thing was so ugly. I mean, it was, it was incredibly ugly. And on top of that, I didn't realize the genius my dad was for building this for one thing and, you know, put me in something so recognizable. I could not do anything in Dodge city without like him getting a phone call saying, Hey, uh, Brian is, is your son, you know, on the golf course or whatever with that pickup. And, you know, and so I, like I said, I just, I couldn't do anything in town without being recognized and had an exo cage. So it was a roll cage. So it was safe. And it was like a little extra cab. So I couldn't like load up to me and my friends in it. And it was just like, boom, like now that I'm a father, like I realized how genius that was. Right. Small town living, but also he put you in something with a 22 RE that it's so slow. You couldn't go fast enough to get into trouble. Uh, no, 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 exactly. What a and, win by uh, Brian. Wow. <laughs> now, so I, I know I the, know. the Shirley's you guys don't sell anything ever. So you probably still have that, right? <laughs> it is. It is. happens to still be in my garage at my house. So yeah. Um, you know, you know, I feel like everybody regrets selling the first vehicle, regardless of how big of a uh, turd it was. Uh, maybe I think you go, I think there's a romantic romanticization. I mean, I said this on, uh, Alan's podcast. We just talked about it and I, where I miss mispronounced you romanticize it, right? You were romanticize what that was or, you know, and you're like how good it was. And then you get back to it. And you're like, man, what a pile. Well, dude, it's such a pile that I don't feel comfortable selling it to anybody. It, it, it's barely roadworthy. It was barely roadworthy when I was driving it. So I do not feel safe putting it you know, anybody else behind the wheel of that thing. So I figured you were going to say like your first vehicle is one of those little mini trucks. You guys had those little, what, what were those Dahatsus or something? The little bitty, what were yeah, those Japanese and, mini trucks, Japanese mini trucks. And you, your dad always had a couple of them around and, and I know you go check cattle in them, go run to town in them. I think he even helped get them street legal in the state of Kansas, even like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So, so our, our trailer shop, we call it the trailer shop because that's like what it originally started out doing is we basically had the tools and the expertise to set up the farmers and ranchers around here, their, their, their pickups, their trailers, whatever. So they could go do their job. Cause we're obviously huge into agriculture around here in uh, Southwest Kansas. That is what drives this area. So dad came across these, uh, Japanese mini trucks and we started importing them. And I want to say we imported close to 150 of them total straight from Japan. We had a guy that would, you know, obviously their night times are daytime. So we had a guy that would bid on them all night and we'd wake up the next morning and see what all trucks we got and, uh, ship them over here and import them. And, uh, 
Yeah, they they were fan fantastic trucks. We uh, great to you know check irrigation, great to check cattle. They were obviously better than a Ranger or a Kawasaki Mule. They had a full cab, they had air conditioning, they had heat. So they just they just worked great for you know the agricultural thing around here. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, you guys always hauled one to to races. That was kind of like a golf cart or razor before razors were being raced or side-by-sides being raced. It was, you guys would have the little mini truck and you'd haul, it'd be a spare 39 and then a toolbox and you pile in that little thing. And, uh, they were, always, you know, the right-hand drive some, and then some were left-hand. It was like it, it, your dad would walk through like what the configuration, each one had a different configuration. He was always trying to get, get me to get one. I was like, I, Brian, I don't know where I would ever drive that. My, in and out of my driveway like that was the extent of it you're like oh yeah i take mine to go get like coffee in the morning like i just tool around town and i'm like that's pretty awesome dude i I drove one i I drove one occasionally to high school but uh you know we still have that exact same one and i've been itching to get it to a race um you know it's pretty cool it has a scissor lift so you could like if you come to a crowd of people you can like just like pick yourself up and watch the race from above everybody and it has like a tilt bed but no it's just it's 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 just a workhorse around here around the, uh, our recreational ranch as we like to call it around here. So what are you into outside of racing before we get, you know, fully embedded in that? I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff around that area, you know, um, the river razors. I, you, well, now that your, your uh, mom and dad have a place in, uh, Buena Vista, all the mountain trails. I know, I think you're into razors out there. I even think you're into jet skis. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there is, uh, we obviously have the, the, I get this, I get this like question asked a lot, like, where do you go practice? Like where, where do you go? Like, what do you, where, I mean, it's Kansas and little known fact about Kansas. It is like next to Rhode Island. It is, it has the least amount of public ground, you know, that you can go recreate on in the United States. So if you think about that, United States is, I mean, huge. Kansas is like obviously all used up by farming and ranching. It's all private. So we don't have anything that we can actually go uh, besides our own fields and our own stuff that we can go, you know, go wheel and have a good time on uh, besides private, privately owned stuff. But we do have the uh, Arkansas River that runs right through uh, the heart of Dodge City, Kansas. Literally runs right through the downtown, but it's bone dry. It's been bone dry for I mean, my entire life, 25 plus years, it has never had any water in it whatsoever. It gets dammed up further up at the John Martin Reservoir in Colorado. Then uh, obviously all the irrigation around here sucks to dry. So it's been dry for 25 years and it is the most awesome razor riding, dirt bike riding, whatever that you'll ever ride in, in, in your life. I mean, it is like literally probably a good chunk of it, probably 50 miles is just whooped out straight line as fast as you can run. You know, if you imagine curves and cutting and it is just a blast to go run. So that's kind of like where I practice and tune and really just kind of dial in the skills on the, uh, you know, on the razor to kind of prepare myself kind of hand eye coordination for the, uh, coming races. But, you know, outside of that, uh, I love my 1980s, uh, jet skis, my old standup jet skis. They are, they take up a majority of my time and my wife absolutely hates it. <laughs> they, they can't love everything, right? 
exactly. Exactly. You know, I told her, I said, honey, you know, I could be chasing 30 year old women around, you know, but I'm chasing 30 year old jet skis around. And, uh, to me, that's fun just cause there's no pressure involved. It's a great work out. And, uh, you know, every Thursday night, my buddy, not buddies and I load up, go up to the lake and, uh, have a good time. We bring our families, hang out. And so it's just kind of like a good, you know, R and R more or less. Well, that's fair. So we, we've talked about, uh, your wife, Miranda, a, a few times. How long have you guys been married? God, why would you ask me that? Wyatt? uh, don't you have like, man, a, like I should have engraved on your ring or something on the inside. That's how mine was. <laughs> I had to look at it. Like, what year is this? Well, yeah. Um, I think we've been married four years. We've been together for 10. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so you guys have been together since you were like 18, 19 years old. Like, yeah, I, I was 18. So now is she a little bit older than you? Nope. She's younger than me. I actually started dating her. She was 17 and I was 18. But uh, like I said, I think the statute of limitations are uh, up on that. So I think, I think we're good. Oh, terrible. <laughs> so, and, and we did talk about college a little bit. I really love her. I've only met her a couple of times, but she's a, she's a K-Stater. She's a graduate of Kansas State University. And that is my alma mater as well. And anyone who is willing to wear purple on a regular basis, either for sporting events or just because it's Monday and it's what's in the closet. You just have lots of purple. I'm a fan of. Absolutely. Absolutely. We wear a lot of purple around here. And I've seen that on your social media. <laughs> like, there's Levi with some K-State on. I'm like, yeah, you can't hardly get around out, out in Western Kansas without, you know, every, every pickup truck has a, the front license plate as a power cat. It is what's talked about. I mean, because Kansas State University being a a land grant college really supports the agriculture. It's uh, the extension offices, all the farming pretty much rotates in and around uh, the university and the university outreach. So you tend to be, they tend to own the, as far as, you know, the rural community, the rural community is behind them. Yeah, absolutely. They, they support the agricultural uh, side of things here. And uh, so obviously that's what this community is built on. So they are definitely the favorite team around here day in and day out. And they've done pretty good this year, you know, beating OU when OU was ranked five. No, don't do me wrong. We lost to Central Arkansas, but we won against <laughs> OU. We won against Texas Tech. We won against TCU. And TCU is my wife's alma mater, the other purple and white. So my house is purple versus purple, you know, and that was a week ago. And then this week they were off. But uh, we lost Skyler Thompson. That's sad. But, you know, I was talking to somebody last night and – I know people listening to this are like, damn it, White, get off ball sports. We don't listen to ball sports. We don't care about your Midwestern crap football. But we're talking to this guy. He's an, he's an Iowa Stater. And we may be playing a Big 12 championship between Iowa State and K-State. And we're like, yeah, man, championship like Farmageddon. It's going to be combines versus combines, right? That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, farmer, farmer v. Farmer. I wish I could talk more about the uh, football side of things, but uh, you know, all my buddies and stuff are obviously very into it and can tell you like exactly the schools and the records and this and that. And I'm like, I love watching it. I love drinking beer and I love going up to Manhattan, Kansas. Like that is probably my favorite place on earth, you know, outside of some of these other places I get to go wheel at, you know, if I had to move anywhere, it'd probably be Manhattan, Kansas. Just that community is amazing. My cars, my race car actually gets, uh, wrapped up there at JS signs. The, uh, my powder coating gets done up there. So it seems like all the time my, I mean, I'm going to Manhattan, Kansas. Really? So John Stroh does your wrapping. I did not know that. I know. Yeah, Stroh. I saw that. That's funny. Stroh is an amazing dude. He, uh, 
he is a creative, creative dude. Uh, John Stroh has wrapped my cars for the past three or four years. And that is amazing. I didn't know you knew John. So Part, partied with him t- 25 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, even my, uh, my Bailey bender, you know, my sheet metal bender, you know, the magnetic press breaker, whatever you want to call it. It came from Stroh. I bought it from him maybe five years ago. What else did I buy? Oh, I got a Bailey. I've got a, a tube roller, uh, that I also bought off him, but he did some, uh, some stuff for me way back in the day with, you know, press breaking and making some picture frames. They're huge picture frames. They're like, you know, four by eight or five by eight, something like that, uh, out of back when bright polished aluminum tread plate was cool, like on stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> You're showing your age there, buddy. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Terrible, terrible. Yeah, man. I like him. I, I knew he did a bunch of stuff with like sand cars and, uh, roundy rounds. Yep. He's big into that. He is literally the most creative guy. I know I really look up to, you know, up to him, you know, like obviously we know some pretty creative people between us, you know, just in the off-road world. Cause you kind of, you gotta be right. I mean, fabrication is like it, like that dude ranks right up there with all of them. And he happens to do my, uh, yeah. all, you know, all my, all my wraps and stuff. So. Well, wow. What a small world that, uh, well, yeah, we, you talk Manhattan. I do love Manhattan. I, I, I really do love it. I, I'm kind of like you. I would move back there if there was like a possibility, but then at the same time, I have to think about, man, have I romanticized it to be what it was when I was in my early twenties to what it is today. Now I'm in my early forties. So I, I, I don't know, but I do love John Stroh. He's a great guy. And that's, that's awesome that, uh, He's, he's the one that's taking care of your raps. He's a, he's a good dude. Hopefully he listens to this and be like, man, yeah, I know why. Hell, God, really? <laughs> I'll send it to him. Don't worry. <laughs> perfect. 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 But now let's talk about, but back to uh, you and Miranda and her K-State and the, you guys have been together for, yeah, 10 years. Uh, you guys have a two-year-old Dawson and now you're a dad. She's a mom. How's that? Like, tell us about Dawson. I mean, I, I love how, you know, knowing you as when you were a kid for the most part to now you have kids is kind of, uh. <laughs> a conundrum. Ooh, yeah, you know, they, they, they say like, you know, if you were a wild child, more than likely your kid is going to be the same way as payback and your, your, your parents are going to sit there and just laugh and then smile watching that, you know, wild child pay you back for what you did to them. And that is exactly what happened with my kid. Uh, he is into everything. He is wild, but he's, he's a dang good kid. But yeah, man, just being a dad is amazing. You know, it's just, it sounds so corny. And I tell everybody that's going to be a new parent because I, I, I'm somewhat of a new parent myself, but I feel kind of like a veteran now, you know, it's been two years and, you know, we, oh, we, we kept him alive. Yeah. Battle hardened. And a lot of the stuff that, you know, I have forgot about, you know, that has like happened, um, over, over the past couple of years, I've just like planted at the backside of my memory. But as we're, 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 we're kind of talking about having a second kid or whatever, which, you know, I hope it happens. It is literally the best thing that's ever happened in my life is, is, is being a dad. I can say, I can, I can honestly put that over racing. I can say I can put that over any win I've ever had. It is just like, so rewarding as, as corny as that sounds, it is, uh, it is literally the best thing in the world. I don't think it's corny at all. I, I, I think it's awesome. I think the, when you get a look at them, I mean, and when you start to see, you know, every day is they discover something new or they pull off some new talent or feet, or it kind of gives you a little, you know, takes a little, puts a little tear in your eye. Like that's, I made that, you know, I made that. And then 
when they get to certain ages and they start having success and realizing their own successes that you get to you know, live vicariously through their successes, which I know I see that out of you, like your dad, your dad, you know, he's, he lives and breathes ultra four racing still, but he's doing it vicariously through his son. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the relationship that, you know, I hope to have someday too, you know, like, I don't really know at what point am I going to get out of racing and let, you know, Dawson take control of, of his own racing as, you know, my dad did with me. And maybe he'll like to go play the tuba in a freaking band. I, I don't know, man. Like I, I hope he loves racing as much as I do. You know, I, I, I've been around plenty of people that they have been into racing, but they, they push their kids as far away from it as possible. Cause like, they like, there's no money in it and blah, blah, blah. Like end of the day, I want my kid to be happy. I, I don't care about any sort of money side of things. Um, you know, obviously I want him to be, you know, financially you know, independent, but I want him to enjoy life. And if that's racing, that that's, that's what matters to me. So. Would you be happy if he was uh, the tuba player for KU's marching band? No, at that point, I'd probably disown him. The, fair enough. I want to make sure we're on the same page. Support <laughs> until we've gone too far. There's a, there's a too far. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, if he if he's a tuba player in K-State's band, yeah. yeah I okay. mean, by all means. But but KU, mm, pro- probably not going to happen. Probably not going to. Uh, yeah, he's going to have to figure that one out. Somebody sent me the GIF yesterday. This is yesterday, just yesterday, and it's of the K-State marching band when they did the Jayhawk with the Starship Enterprise, and the Starship Enterprise looks like it's penetrating the Jayhawk's mouth. It's terrible. It's terrible that the marching band pulled this off. It was supposed to be this celebration of, I'm not sure what Star Trek Enterprise had to do with it still to this day, but it was very phallic <laughs> to the Jayhawk. I- that that's the best thing ever. I mean, put, put PC aside that, that took some guts, man. I don't think they realized what they were doing. I don't, I really still believe to this day. They didn't think it was going to be that terrible anyway. Well, uh, I, I digress on that one. So Miranda, you guys have been together, like I said, 10 years, you, you met, was she in high school? Dodge city. She Dodge city too. Yep. Yep. Exactly. She was a, uh, so I just graduated high school. And she was a junior in Cimarron, Kansas, which is about 15 minutes, uh, sorry, 15 miles to the uh, west of here. That's the same number though, right? 15 miles and 15 minutes. Same. Exactly. Same distance. No, no, exactly. Exactly. I mean, straight line, Kansas, set the cruise 70. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. So anyways, but yeah, no, we, uh, we met at my buddy's house and the, the rest is, is his history. She, uh, is like this good church girl, you know, family background. And I had to kind of pull her in the direction of uh, off-road racing and, uh, you know, probably not the most uh, churchy people in the world. <laughs> I probably can't say that, but yeah, you know what I mean? You know what I'm trying to say by that? Yeah. Well, the fact that we're recording on a Sunday morning, probably after, yeah, after you went to church already, right? Yeah, when, exactly. When- yeah. Exactly. But no, no, no. Like I said, she is just like this super came from the super sheltered yet kind of family and not really getting out much. And she obviously married a, a, a guy that uh, experienced uh, one night in Jellico, you know, old XRA parties and stuff. So I'm kind of a seasoned veteran when it comes to parties and what I've experienced. So yeah, <laughs> I think that's easy to say. You, you were uh, very well versed by the age of nineteen in dumbassery. 
Yeah. You know, it was just like, you know, going to, going to parties, just like in like college and stuff, it was like everybody sitting around playing beer pong. I'm like, you know, and I, I've experienced, uh, you know, uh, one night in Jellico, Brannock parties and all that stuff. And it was like, is, is this all you guys are going to do? You're just going to sit around where, where are the pit bikes and fireworks and where, where's the, the commuter van doing donuts in the field? Like where's Adam Woodley? Where, where, where's Adam Woodley when you need him? So like nothing has ever compared to anything like that. But I'm going to Levi from the flip side, you know, I've done all that and I still haven't figured out anything that is compared to that. Like that whole, that whole era of yeah. Boo Yangs and uh, which the mini pit bikes and mini bike races after races, Adam Woodley in a rental 15 passenger van cutting donuts in the dark with the lights out. And the only thing going off in the car or in the van is people's flashes from cameras. <laughs> like, like yeah. we didn't have, this is like predates the iPhone. <laughs> oh man. Wow. Great, great, great memories. You know, flashback down memory lane. So yeah, so she didn't experience that, but was she, and so she wasn't an off-roader. Have you converted her to off-roading? Because I think she en- looks like she enjoys razor rides and leaf looking, right? Uh, she enjoys them. Uh, yeah, she absolutely enjoys them as long as they are at a uh, slow, non-race pace. I have made her puke on multiple occasions just being my passenger, you know, she is, she gets motion sick and stuff. Oh, so terrible. she just, let's just say we will never be that, that husband, wife power team that you've seen in the past at races of, you know, driver, co-driver. She, yeah, we're, we're just going to have to stick to leaf looking with, uh, with her. Well, but she does enjoy it though, outside of if you're going at a, a small pace, right? Yeah, but I have such a, I have such a problem going at a slow pace, like even in the razor in the mountains, whatever, like I'm like, screw the scenery. Like I'm looking at the trail in front of me and that's all I worry about. I see jumps. I see rocks. You got to go around. It is training day for me. And regardless of who my passenger, you could have the Pope as my passenger and literally I'm going to, I'm going to drive the same way. We're going to be fully getting it. Well, do you let her drive ever? Yeah, oh yeah. No, she drives. So like, you know, I have a, uh, I have like a 2016 Polaris Razor Turbo that has a million miles on it now. I have like seven or 8,000 miles on it now. And uh, they've been hard miles, but I leave it in the garage here at the house. So like if I'm out of town and I don't have it with me or whatever, like I get pictures and videos of her and Dawson out just like cruising in it, you know, take, taking it out because they're street legal here in uh, Dodge City, Kansas. So yeah, so she, she drives it. She loves it. I just, I, it's time to get a four-seater. Well, yeah, and especially if you guys are talking about maybe having, you know, a little sibling for Dawson. I, I mean, I'm looking forward to, let's call it right now, 16 years from now, like a head-to-head challenge between, like, your kids versus the Miller kids and everyone else who's in this generation that are now having having kids that are current current top of the, you know, you know cream of the crop, uh, you know, some of the best off-road drivers in the world are all having children. And then, so we're going to have that generation of them all coming to play here 16 years or so. It'll be awesome. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. Cause you know, like a bunch of us had kids just right at the same time, you know, we have, uh, Waylon Campbell had his son river, That's right. you know, Eric had his son, Nixon Bailey is, is, is now expecting and like, and Brian. And so there is going to be a flood. So we know the future is bright with ultra four racing just because we have, we're going to have 
have that second generation or third generation now, really. I mean, what you say, probably third generation, third generation. Yeah. For a lot of people. But so does this mean, I mean, this is a dead serious question here. Have you gotten in like your request for Hammertown to get a location in South Hammertown, the quiet, you know, the retired ish, you know, where it's, it's, yeah. it's a nice neighborhood down there. Levi, it's a nice neighborhood. Oh yeah. Versus, uh, you know, you know, being around the, uh, Indiana crew, which is, is generally up till the wee hours of the morning. Um, normally some fireworks being on, but no, yeah, no, we're, we're probably going to be moving to the South side, the gated community, more or less. Gated community. That's the great way to, they don't, they don't let just anyone in there. You have to go through like six forms of background checks. You know, you have to be over a certain age, your whole crew. And then minimum, you need X amount of kids per, you know, there needs to be a ratio, you know. <laughs> a formula just to get in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's security guards that let you in there. I mean, there's going to be gates. We're, we're going to really do it upright this year, especially as our kids kind of are, you know, they're more mobile this year and they're able to run around. So, yeah, we're, we're going to have to put some pretty strict safety precautions. And anybody listening to this, I would say that, you know, if there was a daycare service offered at King the Hammers, you can make bank. So I'm just putting that plug out there. I think they could. I really do believe they could clean up. I th- especially like if they did like the five and unders or the seven and unders, you know, that because there are people that have their kids out of school that have brought them out there to experience. But every day on the lake, ah, I don't know, man, like I do. <laughs> I do recall uh, uh, Ethan Howell, which, you know, Rhonda and Matt Howell's son, he was in he's in high school or maybe he just graduated him being there, you know, the last couple of years and, and doing homework, like sitting in sitting in the tent their hospitality tent doing his homework because he was skipping school that week to be on the lake bed, but he didn't, he wasn't missing out. You know, it was funny because I was actually that kid when I was, you know, I, I was uh, of, of age to race King of the Hammers. Obviously I was that kid doing homework on the lake bed at one point in time. There you go. See? So, uh, <laughs> so does Murray, I'm still laughing about the South Hammer town, the gated community. <laughs> the, the, the HOA dudes are a bitch. That's, that's the, oh man. Uh, are you, are you going to be an HOA guy? I'm, are you, are you, no, no. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I lived in South Hammertown this past year and it was, it was quaint. It was quaint, you know, picket fences and, you know, dogs peeing in their own lawn. It was, it was awesome. Did you have to bring your lawnmower and make sure your grass was like shorter than your neighbors? Yes. There was a competition. It was def- <laughs> solid competition. <laughs> So, so there's Miranda comes to most of your ultra four races, not all of them, but most of them, right? She enjoy it for the most part. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like we're learning, you know, the traveling deal is the hardest, you know, when Dawson was probably under a year old, able to throw him on an airline, you know, before he was even one, he'd been on like 16 flights or something just insane so he was great at traveling but now that he's more mobile and loud you know nobody wants to you know they 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 get really obsessed over their own kid uh but as far as uh, noticing anybody else's kid yeah there's some like very bad ones but you know the traveling deal has been a little bit more tough for us you know like the first race that they drove with me to this year was in Crandall, wisconsin it was 20 hours and that's a long time for a two-year-old, not even a two-year-old in a, uh, in a motorhome and, you know, bouncing off the walls and we drove it straight through cause we were running late as usual. So, but yeah, they, they try to come to about every race with us. That's all. Well, I look forward to seeing both of them here. Well, 
this past weekend, a week in the future. <laughs> yeah, man. O- Oklahoma is our essentially more local track. It, it is it is five and a half hours away from us, so it's a nice trip. So they're definitely going to make it there. That's awesome. That's awesome. So she's there. She's supporting you. What all does she handle for uh, Levi Shirley Racing? She handles a, a, a bunch of stuff for you, right? Checks a lot of boxes. Yeah, she obviously, uh, she's in charge of all my apparel. She's in charge of making sure the toter's clean. Uh, she handles all of my bookkeeping, my bill paying. So yeah, so she she handles, and I'm probably missing, oh, she runs my social media as well. Um, you know, not, and I, I run my social media, but she is definitely the more business side of social media saying, hey, you need to post about this or you need to do this versus I would just be, posting random probably jet ski photos 24 7 so yeah she she is a saint and uh you know my my, my mom used to help me quite a bit with that stuff and now kind of transferred the reins over the past two years kind of as it has transferred from lucky dog racing into levi shirley racing you know so so to have that teamwork and to be able to have her do that like there's no way i could i could manage the race car everything and you know, and the bill paying and all that. Well, you know, I, I can't help but draw the parallels between, you know, a, agrarian society, which is what Kansas is, you know, it's, it's ag farms and all, and I'm going to say the parallels being farm wives and race wives and how the parallels between them, you know, handling all the books while the guy is out, the husband's out, you know, on the tractor or working the cattle or whatever that is, you're in the shop or at an event and she's handling dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's for you. Fair? Yeah, absolutely fair. You know, without her, I couldn't do what I do. So, uh, yeah, huge, huge shout out and thank you to her. Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, so, but gr- so growing up though, BS trailer sales, was it Brian Shirley? Was it Brian Shirley trailer yep. sales? Is that was so BS trailer sales. It always made me well, laugh. Yeah. I don't ask that has always been like a, as a, as a, kid like i'm like dad why you know why why did you name it bs like so everybody called it b and s trailer sales for growing up not bs trailer sales so but no so it stood for brian shirley just guy just had to totally capitalize it and and you know truthfully it was probably great advertising i mean like really i mean the name recognition behind that i mean you're not going to get confused with anybody else, you know, no one's going to mess that up and, uh, and, and put you in that, that same box. But, uh, but that said, you, you know, when you guys see, and this is my memory. So if my memory is wrong, please correct me here. You guys were selling a lot of like, uh, like cattle pots and grain trailers and so stuff like this. This wasn't little 18 foot car haulers. You did those, but I think at one point you guys were like a, a very large seller of, uh, the big cattle trailers. Is that right? No, no. no, no, no. We never, we never sold cattle pots or big grain trailers. Our, our bread and butter behind the business, you know, it started off as trailers and doing like repairs on it, to selling uh, stock trailers, you know, you know, bar tops or, or horse trailers and car trailers. And then it eventually, you know, climbed into, and then closed trailers. And then it probably, I'd probably say 80% of our business after that grew into pickup accessories. Like that was the bread and butter, like flatbeds on pickup. I mean, I don't know how many we saw. We probably install, we were not a huge shop by any means, but we do it probably on average at least two to two a day. Uh, if I if I were to imagine. So that it grew into putting hitches and pickups, brake controllers. Like I grew up being 
10, 11 years old, pulling customers, $70,000, $60,000 pickups around back and putting, doing a brake control install myself on them to, you know, grill guards to, you know, mainly just truck accessories. That's kind of what the business turned into. Well, I'm glad you cleared that up because in my head for all these years, I've always thought you guys were this, uh, the big pot trailer guys and, uh, grain trailers. Wow. I'm, I'm glad you, you know, what I had in my head was, has been wrong for yeah. 12 years. Uh, I think that's uh that's epiphany, you know, epiphany level. Yeah. 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 Here, here you go. We, you know, we were just the, uh, flatbed installers. So ah, I got you. And then at some point here in the past handful of years, your dad, I remember hearing this story, your dad got, someone came in to, to buy BS trailer sales and because he just had whatever decided to retire or that made him decide to retire. And I remember you being, you know, getting tapped, like, do you want to buy the business? Do you want to carry this on? And you kind of said, I don't think I'm ready for it. Is that about the timeline, you know, four or five years ago or so? Yeah. Um, shoot. Yeah. Probably about four years ago now. And that might even be a little bit of a stretch. You know, we had hired an individual that was a very, 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 very smart business savvy individual to basically fill in for say, you know, my dad, when my dad would be off racing or flying or, you know, whatever, you know, so he kind of transferred more into the retirement side of things. That individual, Bo, actually is his name, Bo Ricky. He actually co-drove for me my second King of the Hammers I ever raced. So he's, he's an awesome dude. We hired him 2000 and probably 17, 16, 17. And uh, he worked for us about a year and he formed a game plan. Um, his wife wasn't having the best uh, time at her job. And he said, you know what? Screw it. Brian, do you want to sell a business? And, uh, you know, dad thought about it. He's like, yeah, yeah, I think I think I would. And, you know, unless, you know, Levi, you know, you, you would like to kind of continue it on you know i was 23 years old at that point in time and um you know i see how hard my mom works at the books i saw you know the the blood sweat and tears that you know went into that business and kind of they were starting to have grandkids you know from from my older sister and i never wanted to be the reason that they couldn't retire and go enjoy life because you know more than likely if i were to keep the business there'd be quite a bit of a learning period at uh, 23 years old on how to properly run the books and how to do stuff to where she would have to stay around for a number of years until we get trained enough to basically be self-sufficient, you know, and you just, you just never know what's going to happen in life. And so I said, you know what, I'm not mature enough to do this. I want to see them happy. They have given me so much to, uh, you know, you know, to so many life skills that, I think I'm going to go try this racing thing. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be a good venture or not, but, uh, I'm going to try it. You know, the, the trailer shop, I loved it. It's what I knew. It's what I planned on doing for, you know, my entire life. Like that's what I was going to take over and that's what I was going to do. I really have a passion to racing. I saw a unique void, uh, that, you know, I could possibly, uh, you know, fill or, or, or get into with the off-road side of things. So I ultimately decided to choose that route, sell the business, let my parents enjoy their life uh, and uh, retirement and uh, kind of start my own thing. Well, I think there's something extremely poetic about that story. I think that even at a young age, you were able to recognize how your decisions impacted those around you that you love. 
And sometimes the easiest decisions are the hardest decisions, or sometimes the hardest decisions are, you know, exactly that. And I think that's kind of poetic that you were able to step back and say, you know, I could absolutely do the trailer business, but is it going to be what's right for the entire family? And, and also I want to be a race car driver. So there's always that, right? (laughs) Yeah. But like, I don't know if I would have had any other business going, I probably would have, you know, chose that. It wouldn't necessarily had to be racing. It was just something that like I was, uh, I was racing in Europe quite a bit. You know, I, I was starting to get kind of the wheels under me as far as like my social media goes, as far as everything with racing and sponsorship goes that I'm like, don't stop now. Like there's just that like, you're so young, like right now, like right now is the time you need to be doing this stuff. You know, even at say 30, you decide to uh, pack up the racing thing and start, start a business, whatever. You're so young at that point, you know, like I, I'm a, I'm a big guy into like, uh, obviously podcasts and, uh, you know, listen to Gary V or Andy Frisella from first form to where they're just super business savvy podcast to where, you know, they say all the time, like y- you have time to screw up and still start again at that, you know, I, but I've also heard the term, like, don't, don't wait until your thirties to start doing what you should have done in your twenties. 20s. Like I, I get that, but same time, I don't want my life to have any regret. And I'm so passionate about the racing thing. And I, and I know I'm, I'm obviously very, very talented at it that I don't want to see it go by the wayside just to conform to society. You know, like I look up to a lot of different people in the sport. One of them is my good friend, Eric Miller. I look up to that guy. That guy came from a line of doctors, right? And very, very successful people. And he stepped out from that going, you know what? Like, he's obviously very, very intelligent dude. He could have been that guy. But he's like, you know what? I'm going to try this racing thing. And then you look at guys like uh, Lauren Healy that came away from his very, very important, well-paying, you know, oil job into the racing, making it work. I'm like, you know what? If, if, if there is a time now is going to be the time for me to do that. Hey, I'm you're you've got me, you're preaching to the choir talking to me about that. I think what I've seen a, a good handful, you know, multiple handfuls of guys that I, I do have a lot of respect for and have seen him come through the ranks or, or show up and like yourself knowing you for prior to even being like a legal racer and, and what you've done with that and the ability to wear, you know, I'm looking at you right now, you're wearing a Yokohama hat and the representation you have of that company and your passion about your stuff. Like I was fully shocked. You were your family in lucky dog racing. You guys ran Max's tires for absolutely ever. And everything Creighton King, I know you guys, it was, you're buying the relationship. That's what it is. And to see when you moved to Yokohama, I I mean, I think it threw the industry back, but through myself back going, man, this guy, he's actually, he's making moves, he's making changes and he's fully embracing what this sport is. Just not, you know, taking what is given to him. Uh, He's actually going and fighting for, uh, fighting for opportunities. And you can do that in the business world, but then turns out you're in the business world. It's just a different business. Um, People can look at it all day long and like listening to Eric Miller and I've had him on the show. He was gosh, last spring, uh, right after King of Hammers. Um, and then, you know, having Lauren on, having these guys on that you look up to, I look up, I think the industry looks up to for what they've done to bring in money and sponsors and attention and how they've made that their lifeblood. 
it's pretty inspiring. I see you doing that as well. You've done a, you've done a bunch of things that are just um, way out there, you know, that, that I, I was actually planning to touch on it way later, but I think now's the perfect segue to it is last year, ultra four went away from carrying the live feed. They did for, it was a dollar thing. Dave looked at it as it was a dollar line item. It cost a whole bunch of money. He didn't feel like he was getting the return on lot people watching it live. The thing was a lot of people might not have watched it live because of timing. And you know, there's I'm the right way to put it. And I don't, this is probably gonna say it the wrong way. It, things do come out of my mouth the wrong way on a regular basis is people have some free time during the week. Hence why King of the Hammers is on a Friday because he wanted the people sit at their office who aren't able to make the lake bed. were able to watch it online while they're at their job. You're basically stealing time from their job, which Again, that's neither here or there on that argument. But when you're doing the live feed, it's on Saturday. Yeah, man, people have, they've got baseball tournaments. They've got their, their kids horseback riding. They've got, you know, any number of things going on. They've got honeydews or they've just got to go to the grocery store or they got laundry going. It's just not the things that you knock out during the week during the, that you can't do during the week. So the live feed might not have got a ton of watches live, but come Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, people would go back and see and, and, and jump through. Well, that went away and Levi Shirley shows up. Levi live streams from the inside of your car, an entire event. What now that I've got you on, what drove that decision? Like who brought that tech to the table and said, Hey, let's do this. Who brainstorming came up with that idea to do it? Honestly, my, uh, my, my good friend and, uh, media guru, Corey Nasso from Pitkin, Colorado, he, he has taken over my mate, my media and my videos for the better part of about two years now. He went with us to this, uh, race and he was talking about it on being able to do live stream. Now I've seen people do live stream, but he literally set up the whole thing from start to finish. I did not fully appreciate what exactly he was doing. He was like, Hey man, we're going to, we're going to throw this GoPro on your car and I'm going to, I'm going to leave my phone with you the entire race so it can stream properly. I'm like, Oh, okay, cool, cool. I I'm focused on the race. I'm not focused on that. Like we're like, whatever. Uh, so it wasn't until after the race, I realized how cool that really just was. I went back and read the comments and saw the reach going, holy crap, like what did we just pull off? We were literally the first people to ever pull off a live stream an entire race, you know, you know, from, from a car. And, uh, it's, it's a hard thing to do. There was a total void and you guys filled it. And that's everyone watched that race through your eyes. Yeah, exactly. They saw exactly, you know, we had, man, we missed first by like 20 seconds with Josh Blyler and there was some ultra four timing issues. Surprise, surprise on that, that, uh, still to this day, I don't really, I really don't know who won that race, but anyways, yeah, there was a total void that needed to be filled. And I feel like just social media and media is going towards that. I don't feel like people are really care about watching an entire televised broadcast race. I mean, they do, but like if we revert to any other sport, like say F1, uh, for example, like I would rather watch Lando Norris via what he sees and everything, or be able to select on the driver and pick what live stream we want to do. And I still think there's a huge void for that for ultra four to be getting cameras on these cars and be able to broadcast like that. That would be huge. I think it comes, it, it, not, I think I know it comes down to dollars. It's that it's not 
an easy tech to pull off on a mass scale. But if you can, you know, shoulder that burden on your own, I think it'd be cool if Ultra 4, if there were drivers that were doing that, Ultra 4 had the ability to toggle and grab your life, your stream and feed it into theirs like a, an aggregate so they could flash over and say, hey, you know, we can do this. I mean, they do that somewhat uh, at King of the Hammers, but King of the Hammers has its own separate massive media marketing televising budget and team, you know, Travis Walder's team and what they're able to pull off, you know, literally bouncing video signals off of satellites to get them up linked to uh, the world. <laughs> Mind blowing. It, it, it's, it's amazing. You know, and I, I look at it from the business side of things going like, man, like how can we monetize off of this? How, how could we almost do a pay-per-view to basically sell that? And I, I know there's a way to do it. And uh, it's just like I said, it's all comes down to dollars and kind of rolling that dice and figuring it out. Well, at a minimum, what it does is, even if you aren't able to monetize it for pay-per-view, what it does is you're, you get product placement, you get logo placement, and you get to represent and hold up your end of the bargain that you've made with your sponsors. And you've got some amazing sponsors. You put their, their logos in playing an awesome view site of that, uh, that onboard camera, and you're giving, you're giving back or you're earning uh, what the, each dollar that they're giving you. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I definitely say that. So outside of that, as we continue down the path, you guys are, you guys run some cattle today, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we run some cattle also known as uh, recreational ranchers, uh, which is trademarked by the way, J- just Ho- kidding. hobby farmers. Hobby ho- farmers. Ho- ho- yeah, exactly. It's uh, yeah. So we're not big cattle producers by any means, although that has basically, come from that that is my my family's roots is the cattle market so basically dodge city in like ford county that we're at like we're in dodge city in ford county how funny is that i've always laughed about it my whole life (laughs) but uh anyways uh you we are the basically cattle hub of the world you know we have two packing plants here uh a uh Oh, here in Dodge City, we have two packing plants. Each one of those packing plants kills 6,000 head of cattle a day apiece. So just in Dodge City, there are 12,000 head of cow a day killed. Like, and, and then you go over to Garden City, which is 50 miles to the west of us. There's one there. Then you go to Holcomb. There's one more. And so there are, um, they say that Southwest Kansas produces 75% of the world's beef. They absolutely do. That is, that is, that is truly the number and it comes, so, comes right out of there. Everyone gets, gets it trucked in, which was this problem back in like the early days of COVID, you know, what we were month, two months into COVID. And, you know, they said, uh, that it ran through at least, I think the Holcomb plant. So then they shut down, uh, garden and Holcomb, which is like Montfort and IVP. And then you guys there in Dodge, I think had at least one shutdown or did both of them shut down. Yeah, no, we had one that shut down during the COVID deal and uh, go to about 50% on that. And then the, the, the second one stayed open. They, they had the mindset of letting COVID run its course and kind of the herd immunity. So they, they took a gamble. And within a month or two, COVID had ran through there. It seemed like a lot of the employees had it. And they kind of developed a herd 
you know, immunity, the cattle markets were down. They were, they were killing it as far as like profits go because they were the only ones obviously op- operating at full capacity. And, uh, yeah, they, they were able to, uh, keep the production up because like you want to see a uh, mass like chaos is like, you want to see a meat shortage, you shut those plants down and see, see, see what happens. And it, you talk about, we supply 75% of the, uh, of the beef to the world shut down one of those plants you're talking like some major major kind of downstream effects so well um, not just downstream but upstream yeah well i talk about the upstream the upstream from the producer standpoint all all the cattle farmers cattle ranchers all your feedlots all that all of that that takes everything that's in place that to take from hoof to box beef everything in that process when it backs up, it backs up hard. And there was yeah. such a glut of beef on hoof walking around all, all the, the Midwest, not just everything that was piled up in the feedlots. Well, feedlots are, you know, they're on a certain time frame. You get them, you get a minute this weight, you feed them, you put on X many pounds per day through this many days. It's a formula. It's a formula, formulaic equation. You know exactly what that beef is going to do by what day, what day it will be ready. And they are forward contracted to supply that contract to the slaughterhouse. And if that doesn't happen, then they, they start backing up. Then there starts not being room in the, in the feedlots. Then there starts not be a room, uh, you know, going through the sales. And then that leaves the producer with what is cheap. I mean, it just backs up the cost, but then on the flip side, on the other side, the box beef side, where it's being shipped out to grocery stores and for distribution, they couldn't get enough of it. Right. So it, it went through the roof. We saw, we saw hamburger here in South Texas go from like three forty a pound to like seven fifty a pound. That's like ridiculous. People couldn't get it. Right. I mean, there was lines in the grocery stores and those grocery stores were completely empty, but yeah, that, that whole COVID deal. I mean, the, the farmers and ranchers are resilient people. They are the toughest people you'll ever meet in your life. So my hats are off to them for basically surviving through that stuff. Cause they had, they were feeding cattle and pigs and everything like that at a loss. So Anyways, where I was going with this whole sorry, deal sorry, we got is, so bad. Yeah, nobody probably even cares to listen about that. So it wouldn't be surprised me if it doesn't even make the cut. So my, anyways, my, my show, I wanted to talk about it. I was excited yeah, yeah, for a second. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But where I was going with that is, you know, m- my family's history behind the cattle uh, side of things are my grandpa and three other business partners started the very first packing plant in Southwest Kansas period. So the legacy that they left, you know, it was him and three other part business partners. I want to say started the very first one to killing like probably 20, 30 head a day is now 6,000 head a day. And I actually in the gun safe have the, the very first 22 pistol or not pistol, sorry, rifle that killed the very first cow in Dodge City, Kansas in 1963 which is just an amazing piece of is history to own because like apparently they built this full facility you know that here in dodge city kansas and they're like they got everything in they got the cattle and they're like well we didn't work through how we we're actually going to kill the cattle and my grandpa was like well i got my gun on my truck and so he walked out and got this 22 uh rifle and uh they killed him for a few years that way with the 22 rifle uh, right there. And we, we still have that gun in the safe to this day. So yeah, if you haven't seen, 
in which I, I mean, it's a gruesome, it's gruesome, but it's very humane how the process is today of how they bring in a pin of cattle and how they, how they, uh, they, they harvest, uh, harvest the beef. It's, uh, if people are into that, but taking a tour of, uh, any of the slaughterhouses is, uh, very eye-opening and a very cool process of how we feed, we feed a planet. Yeah, absolutely. We do. Absolutely. We do. So, so anyway, sorry to derail you on that deal. Oh, hell no. That's awesome. Uh, so back to, uh, Levi Shirley racing, uh, you know, being in Dodge, you've got to have a little bit of a, in, you know, like, like we talked about like your car gets wrapped and some work that you, that you have done all the way up in, in Manhattan. I know you ship your motors out, you do various work here and there. You have to have a little bit of a, a problem getting guys to work for you, right? You're a one man show. You you race, prep, pack everything your own car. Yeah, it, it has it has been a uh, it, it's it's definitely probably my Achilles heel is just to get I don't know, to, to to get the knowledge um, and the manpower to come work on these cars out here in Southwest Kansas. Like I have to drive everywhere. All my parts get shipped everywhere you know like from wrapping i drive three and a half four hours powder coat drive four hours my motor actually is my only local somewhat local piece it goes down two hours south of me my transmissions go to phoenix my shocks go to la my diffs go to la so we get home from a race we blow the car apart and all the parts got sent out um and i let the experts be experts but having help i've had a handful of solid solid individuals that have completely volunteered to, to help me out. Like matter of fact, right now we're talking, it's 1047 AM right now. And one of my best friends, Aaron Dupree has been with me literally from the beginning of my racing career. He's out in the shop right now, putting the car back together so we can go race Oklahoma. So my ultimate goal is to, uh, you know, be, be financially sound enough to where I can actually hire people to, uh, you know, obviously help me out because, I do everything from the repairs to the work, to the disassembly, to the washing, to the reassembly, to truck driving to the race, to the marketing side of things, to going home. And it has been pretty much all volunteer based. Like if I do have help. So I, uh, uh, I beg a lot of people to come help me out. It's, it's not this big, big operation that everybody thinks it is. It's just a lot of time away from my family, you know, being the truck driver being the being the mechanic the crew chief the marketing guy so yeah it is just it's definitely a tough thing well i think i to put that in perspective guys that you know this is the dream right this is the dream i'm going to go race ultra four this is the dream they have day jobs they have full-time jobs and then they're also trying to do this and pull this off solo and this was exactly my crux this was exactly where i ended levi i'm in the exact same boat as as you except for i had this this day job and time away from family i realized i realistically cannot race this series i i couldn't make it happen without you know really good help and really good help is really easy to burn out when you're not paying them yeah, exactly. And exactly. And that's where it, it's tough. I've just, like I said, I've been very blessed and very fortunate for a lot of the major races. I have help that takes time off of their jobs to come out and help me, you know, just like my best friend here, Aaron Dupree to uh, Jay Hawkinson from Nest City takes time off of his stuff. My dad, my parents, my, my wife comes out. It is definitely a group effort and it is very selfless of them to do that because I, I mean, I mean, 
I would think if I was in their shoes, I would help somebody else out like that. But yeah, it's kind of hard to do. And, you know, just like my friend, my friend group, you know, like we're all getting older and we all get, uh, you know, we all start to have families and we all start just, just things change and evolve. And I'm still the guy that's out racing, you know, with my kid and stuff where a lot of everybody else have kind of had to buckle down and, uh, stick to their day jobs and day jobs and, uh, support their families. And I completely get it. So I'm just the one stupid enough to still be out here doing this. I, I don't know if it's stupid, but I think it, I think it's amazing. Personally, that's why I got you on the show. You mentioned Jay Hawkinson. I would like to, you know, big shout out to Jay. Jay might be the nicest guy supporting Ultra Four. Nicest guy. Like I saw, we were at a we were at a race. I think somebody had maybe uh, like an air conditioner issue on their truck that was doing something funky. He had a charging kit in his tool in, in, his, in his toolbox. Walked over. He's working on these other people's car at an event. You know, like. Jay, nicest guy ever. I love him. I love have that you have him in your toolbox. I love him having him in, in just my toolbox of having being a friend. That's a man that will give you the shirt off his back and then drive you somewhere to wear that shirt. You know what I mean, like he is that good a guy. He's a guy that I, I've had at the Hammers every single year for uh, the past ten years. We put him in a pit. We put him in the remote pits because he's a guy that came from a, uh, I mean, just farming oil. I mean, everything make do with what you have background. Like if I, we always joke, like saying, Hey, like if we need a wheel bearing out there in the desert, Jay will pick up a rock and like carve it out with his pocket knife. And we'll be able to have a wheel bearing that fits on the race car perfectly. He's a resourceful individual. Those guys are, you know, <laughs> they are a dying breed, man. Um, so you, when you got into first got into racing, like we we talked about you starting, you know, go karts at eight, which was like a circle track stuff, and and kind of on from there. And how terrible you said you were, you know, wrecking stuff. Moving into you know stock cars, was there a good stock car circle car, you know, circle track guys? Is there a good series for that in Western Kansas? I know this is jumping back, but it seems like to get mm, started, you know, Dodge City had a, had an amazing, amazing track at one point in time still is amazing but it started off as an asphalt track completely we're the only asphalt track and forever so that's that's kind of where we started but uh yeah i've kind of lost touch with all that series and stuff you know I, I it was just mainly seat time it was a cheap hobby to go do we were still running the trailer shop at the time so racing obviously was a hobby but you know i'm sure there are good stuff out there i just don't pay attention to it right now i mean i'm so i'm so involved like i always say like if i wanted to go get more wheel time i'd probably go get it get in a sprint car modified and just just go get more seat time go bang doors with some people so but no that, that was definitely fun but uh it doesn't we were obviously as a family, we were out there going to Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, all over wheeling all over as a, with, as a family. So like, obviously like we loved racing and we loved wheeling and then obviously XRA popped up and it was like, suddenly we were able to do both. We were able to wheel and race. So why not combine the two? Right. And then, so XRA it's 2008, it's gray rock, Alabama. It's Levi's first race. It's Wyatt Pemberton's first race as well. You were the, you were still the, you were 81 then because your dad was 18. Yep. I was the triple nickel five, five, five and describe your car. Your car was a single seat Campbell car. Yeah. So no. So at that point in time, that I car, remember the car, I just don't remember who built it. I thought it was like a Liberty yep. hood. Yep. It was a, um, Schaefer's Diablo is what it was. 
That's so, right. That's right. I, I, I obviously wasn't around in the, uh, but and neither was like my dad or anything, which I don't know why we confused for that a lot. I don't know. We've just been in it for so long, but we were never in the golden years of rock crawling. We were never in the prime of Las Vegas parking lot. We were all, none of that. We were not involved in any of that. So, but this car was my very first car was, was basically one of those golden years, uh, rock crawlers. So I was, I was still in high school. I want to say I was a sophomore junior in high school. And, uh, you know, my parents wanted to get me more involved with the racing side of things because dad was, and they knew I was coming to the age and kind of start that. So they, they ended up buying me my very first race car. It was, I remember this day, it was $12,000 is what they ended up paying for. It wasn't on me. They, they ended up paying for it and paid $500 for a hot shot to get it out of Washington down here to us. So that car was a single seat, like I had a, a, what they call a short star motor, which was basically like a Cadillac North star with a V6, a little 3.5 liter, I want to say with a 700 R4 and Atlas had, I want to say, I want to say like Dynatrack, Dana 60s front and rear and little tiny Walker Evans, like one inch air shocks on it front and rear. So yeah, that car was great. It was a great learning experience. And let's just say after the first race, it got updated a little bit. So yeah. So the first race, was this the first heat this went down? Was it first heat, like the first hundred, hundred feet of your very first race ever? Yeah, like literally this was my very first off-road race ever as a driver, anything like period. I mean, from there was no pre-running, there was no qualifying, there was you started how you started. So it was my very first hundred feet as a driver. Well, we gotta walk the course, but it was two two lanes side by side, and at Gray Rock you started out on the flush flat top area that was at the top of a what was it? Cable Hill. Cable Hill was you know, people in the Southeast rock bouncers, no cable Hill cable Hill was maybe a hundred yards behind the start line and you took off and then you had a, a downhill drop after the first hundred feet. So green flag drops, what's Levi do? Yeah. So green flag drops, I take off like a bat out of hell. There was this little series of drops right off the bat. The, uh, I, I, I'm going all of a sudden that hits the first one bottoms out really, really hard. It breaks the pan hard bar. It goes to the second bump and obviously add a three link front suspension. So once you lose that front one, it shifts the axle over, it shift the axle over. It broke the, uh, lower control arms there. And the next thing I know I am upside down. The axle is about 50 feet up on the trail. And I am like, just what just happened? Um, my very first race. Yeah. So we witnessed that I'd already gone. So my heat had gone, uh, and my heat one, I'm done. I, I can't remember if we won or got second, uh, you know, on that first heat, but I, we're standing there and see you launch down this downhill and you just, cl- the, the front axle just folded underneath and you just rode it down. Like you surfed it, like you surfed the front axle <laughs> down the hill and then finally it hooked on something. It stayed. You went over the axle and went all the way over upside down in this black single seat. You know, it had, did it have flames on it? I feel like it had flames on the front, like fl- flame paint yeah. job. Yeah. I want to say it was black, green, and orange, if I remember right. That's uh, what I recall as well. And so yeah. you just wadded up in the noise, the sound. You could have heard a pin drop in that 
Canyon, uh, Gray Rock, Alabama, you could have heard a pin drop outside of the crash of your, like a collective <gasps> like happened where everyone just sucked in like, oh my gosh, did that just happen as you're careening down this hill? Like, like I said, you were surfing on the front axle. I couldn't stop, man. It was just, it was, and like you said, the bang that it made and it was just terrible. I mean, it, it's, it's a wonder that I just didn't like quit after that. But I, I vividly remember just being so embarrassed that that just had happened. Like thinking my life is over. I just totaled a car the first hundred feet ever that I've ever been in an off-road car as far as racing it goes. Yeah. I remember getting it winched out of there. Then I remember Bender, the guy that actually built the car. Rob Bender Park. He was there. Yep. He was there. He built that car. And so we had to get a photo of, uh, you know, right next to the car as it was still upside down and the axle was 20, 50 feet of, you know, from it. But I remember getting back to the trailer and I'm, and I get in the trailer and I, I don't know why this will stick with me forever. And I, I go in there and dad has his hands you know, on his face and he is, he is crying. It's one of the few times I've ever seen my dad cry. And he wasn't sad about the car. He wasn't sad about that. He was sad because he knew that I was a good driver and then that just had happened. He was more or less just sad for me and for, you know, as probably I would be for my son, you know, cause Mel can be replaced. And, uh, yeah. Uh, and that, that just kind of has stuck with me. Oh yeah. I mean, and you walked away from it. you're, you know, a safe car. I mean, I think they were inching. I think that was an inch and a half chassis. So it was, and, and you said you took off, you know, like about, a, I mean, you took off as fast as like four squirrels chasing the same nut to go. <laughs> and that's how, when I look back at old XRA videos, like, man, we were slow, you know, we uh, were get, not fast. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's kind of funny, uh, but we were going as fast as we could. But so then the next race that year was Tennessee. And then the following race was Hannibal, Missouri, and you won Hannibal that year, but you won it in a Campbell car and it was Shannon Campbell. Uh, he'd loaned you a car and to be at the time, 16 years old, Shannon Campbell legend, you know, I mean, still legend today, uh, definitely way up on uh, the legendary status back in this era. He, to loan the 16-year-old kid from Kansas a car, and you go out and beat the field. How cool was that? Oh, that was, that was insanely cool. You know, I was 16 years old that time. Uh, kind of how that story kind of progressed is we were hanging out in Colorado Springs. My dad had just got done racing a uh, West Coast. I don't even know if he called it West Coast back there, but a Colorado Springs uh, XRA race. And uh, Wayland was there at that time too. And uh, we're all hanging around there. We had my car there and Wayland could fit in the car because obviously, you know, we had pedal extensions and the seat way forward because I'm not a big guy whatsoever to be able to fit in that car. Wayland could fit in that car, but couldn't fit in his dad's. So Shannon said, you know, Wayland can drive your car, but how about you go drive mine? And, uh, you know, at that time I was like, uh, sir, 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 Shannon, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that, man. No, don't be a, yeah. And so, okay. And so I w wheeled it around and, you know, went through the course or whatever, came back. Shannon said, I want you to hit that gap jump at this Colorado Springs. If you can look it up, it was like, at that time, it was like this huge uphill gap jump, like very, very, everybody, everybody knows this jump. He said, I want, I want you to to hit that jump. And I'm like, uh, no, just drop off the drop off the hill, go to second gear, pin it. And I'm like, 
uh, he's like, just do it. You'll be fine. So I did it and I jumped it and, you know, flawlessly. And I was 16 years old at that time, came back around. Shan's like that, you know, that was, you know, great. You know, and like, he's like one of my heroes, one of my idols telling me that, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, Superman's standing there telling me that I just drove his car like really good. And so, you know, Shannon probably had a few beers in him at that point in time, more, more than likely after the race, you know, and he's talking to my dad and he says, why don't, why don't you guys take that your next race? Like, nah, you know, that's, you know, that's really nice. No, no, it's all right. He's like, you're, you're never going to win in that car of yours. Like, yeah, probably not. Just take mine. Okay. So we hauled it home, prepped it. And the, you know, the very next race, we, we took it to Hannibal, Missouri. I remember not thinking at a chance, you know, I'm very, very green. It's like my third or fourth race ever out there racing as the cards would fall. I just got lucky and got lucky. And next thing you know, we're lining up for a finals and I'm one and two, like I just had to complete this next run to actually win and, uh, ended up completing the run, winning the race, uh, you know, taking home top honors in Shannon Campbell's car and the media went crazy because a 16 year old kid borrowed Shannon Campbell's the famous Shannon Campbell's car and went out and won a race like how much cooler how much more Disney Channel does that get right like it's just it's awesome and so yeah the rest is kind of history and I'm very thankful uh, to be able to have that opportunity because there's no doubt that without that opportunity I'd be where I am today. And, and that field was pretty stacked with some guys that are still in the sport or even the guys that have gotten out of the sport since it was still a pretty stacked field, but you had a flawless day, but the guy who was always kind of in that East circuit to beat was Derek West. And I remember he had uh he had, he did not have a flawless day. He had one really bad run. I think it was like maybe heat three. He had a bad run. He got hung up on a rock and that took Derek out. And if Derek got knocked out of contention, then it was anybody's game. But up to that point, it was Derek was always the guy to be, you know, the nice polished Jimmy's car. And he just, he just, Derek's, Derek is just a, a student of the game, man. He, he will beat you eyes closed. That, that dude's an amazing driver. I mean, that, that guy, hands down, anybody's race, I mean, that guy can, can wheel a car, period. I remember, you know, beans, he brought up Derek West. I remember like being nervous, you know, full blown Ricky Bobby up there on the podium, like, uh, give him my speech. Like, uh, uh, I don't know what to talk about, what to do. And Derek West goes, he said, Hey, Hey, Levi, you know, he shouts it from the crowd going, Hey, just how fast is a 16 year old kid. And I'm like embarrassed, you know, I'm red. I'm like fast enough. And that's how, that's how I ended my speech or whatever that day is being just how fast is a 16 year old kid fast enough. So uh, yeah, I mean, that's just a, a pinnacle. And so you went from, uh, you know, destroyed hopes and dreams a few, two months prior in Alabama to the t- king of the world. You were the kid to beat in a Campbell car. And that was, a it was, it was really cool to know you guys during that in, in be formulating relationships during that, that time of my life. And the, that's one of my amazing memories of you is like, man, just you're just awesome. I've I, another memory that I have of that is I loaned. Uh, so I had Kelly Kaiser was my co-driver, but at that event, we didn't need a co-driver. So Kelly drove heat three and he rolled it and you know, just end up that gets flipped back over and, you know, the LS oil, it's just smoking on, on startup and the picture, I, I think it's Nolan Grogan, you know, uh, the rock midget 
it's his picture, I believe, but it's of my car sitting there smoked. And of course, I'm the one who takes the heat for it for rolling the car because I could roll a car. I mean, it's known I could roll a car. It's smoking. And at the bottom, right next to the car, is your dad and Kelly and Kim Sears watching the smoke show. <laughs> That's the picture I have. <laughs> and it wasn't me. But anyway, yeah, man, moving yeah. on. So, so, we, so out of that, like this is kind of the era where XRA is coming to kind of an end because 2007 KOH had happened with the OG 13, the 12. Then 2008, February had been what 70 or however many drivers showed up. And it was kind of the buzz that year, like King of Hammers. And then Dave Cole put out, Dave and Jeff put out the thing about 2009. Your dad, uh, your dad got the the look and the call to come out to King of the Hammers 2009. I got the call to come out to King of the Hammers 2009. And we parked side by side. So we pitted side by side, you know, trailers. And that was back when there wasn't an infield. Like there was just a drag strip headed out of what we know today as Hammertown. But 2009 was, it was your first year KOH spectating, right? No, I was actually, I was actually in school at that time. So I didn't get to go to King of the Hammers 2009. I just got to watch it and like ask my dad about it and just kind of relive it via stories and stuff. Cause that was before really. So, I mean, there's social media, but it wasn't like it was today. Like I'm sure my like dad and King of the Hammers like didn't have it. So, you know, we just had to go by stories at that time. 2010 was my very first King of the Hammers, uh, actually. And and that was just spectating because your first year race, it was 11. Is that correct? No, no. No. My very, my, I, the first year I ever went to King of the Hammers, I raced. So 2009, I did not go. My dad was running his single seat Campbell car. And then I drove a, uh, the old cat caddy buggy, the old Cadillac, uh, which was a, uh, the third Jimmy's car ever produced. And so that was the year that you, you were again, statue of limitations. They are out. You can't come back. The story has kind of been circulated. So I, I know the story very vividly because your, your dad had called me numerous times when this was going down was, Hey, can you like, you know, circulate the word that we're going to have Levi's 18th birthday what was like in January or December. And like, we were going to fake your birthday, like fake a whole social media blitz on, Hey, it's Levi's birthday. He's 18. You end up having a fake ID. And it was all to ensure that a 17 year old could race King of the Hammers that year. Yeah. Like I, I had just taken a Photoshop class in, uh, in in high school so i ended up photoshopping my id making one that way and uh for a fake id and it was also i could race because the rules at king of the hammers were that you had to be 18 to run king of the hammers and dave cole said nope absolutely not you know nobody under 18 can run this or like "Mm, okay and i was 17 it was in february obviously and that particular year i want to say we raced on february 12th so when i wrote down my birthday my birthday is may 11th i wrote down february 11th you know i got the two confused with the five like it happens all the time like so so yeah so we were just as luck would have it we were a day short yeah we had to fake a birthday party and stuff and to this day my dad still wishes me happy birthday on february 11th because he obviously still thinks that's my birthday (laughs) well but you got you got a race nonetheless and you've raced every year since yeah. Yeah. I've literally, I've had some good years and some bad years. Uh, first year I ever raced it, we lost the motor. We just had some local guy building the motors here. It lasted like 60 miles and it blew up. Uh, Kelly Halling was my uh, co-driver. 
yeah, every year we've raced since and I've had a great finishing record since then. I can't tell you what that is. I think I've only DNF King the hammers twice, but yeah. No, that's a, that's a stand up uh, statistic. Cause you know, there's a lot of people who haven't won finish and I've raced it that many years or just about right. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere somewhere in there and then you you raced uh, uh some sniper fab cars kind of in the middle there prior to 2014 like maybe 12 13 you raced a, your sniper fab car and then yeah, yeah. And, then, and then you built the, then you guys built uh loretta loretta she showed up in 2014 was koh the first race on that car actually it was norcal rock race uh in 2014 so it would have been the second race of the year that year we ran Lor- we, we ran layla my sawdox car at king the hammers because loretta just wasn't quite ready yet and i like the idea of having two seats so yeah that uh 15 or sorry 2014 norcal was loretta's first race and, and it was consequently, it was, it was Jason Shear's car. Uh, it was his first year race on his car, his still current car that he races today as well. And the Red Dragon. No, the Red Dragon was Glen Helen the second race. It was some, but they were all kind of right there. They all kind of got built at the same time. And now, I mean, Co- Cody Addington is still having good success in his. Campbell's have moved a couple of generations of IFS forward from your current car. So, which is why you're, you know, in in the scene to be building a new one right now, which is a great segue to talk about that, uh, that new car and where it's being built and who's building it was you were doing, you were racing ultra four Europe and you had a lot of success. So you won an ultra four Europe series, what a couple of years. Yeah. So we actually won the, there really wasn't a series to win in 2013. We first went over there, Dave Cole, my, my buddy Aaron Dupree and I went to Glen Helen and for, for one race by ourselves in a pickup with a car trailer and went out there and raced Glen Helen. Dave Cole was like trying to find somebody to go race over in Europe for the degree of the agreements that he would pay half of the freight to ship a car over there. And so nobody else wanted to do it. I want to say it was like between me and Andrew McLaughlin and Andrew was like, nah, I got too much stuff going on. I'm too busy, whatever. So I'm like, Dave, Dave I'll do it. So after the event, Dave and I got to talk and he's like, you want to go do that? I'm like, yeah, let me get back, regroup from this Glen Helen race. When do we need to ship the car? And he's like, in like two weeks. And I'm like, oh, 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 I got to ship my car halfway around the world in, in two weeks. So we got Layla, which is my current Legends car right now, still, still own it. Like you said, surely sell nothing ever. Um, <laughs> ever. <laughs> and, uh, and actually uh, ship that car over there and raced it for king of wales in in wales the very first year uh in 2013 it was actually their second year they've actually had that race and uh went over there and did i mean relatively okay uh we were in a, a third third place had some bad luck we just realized we didn't quite have the winch to compete with those guys because those guys do a lot of winching we had like this little tiny you know ultra four style winch which is like has 50 foot of rope on it and those guys have big twin motor 8274s that can just like pretty much pull faster than they can literally drive yeah ended up with a third and then we were planning on shipping the car home the promoters there was this new race going uh king of portugal going on uh and like two weeks and uh, after this and the promoter was there in the uk saying like hey you should come race the race i'm like no nah, dude i'm kind of i'm kind of burnt out like this was a lot like whatever and my buddy rob butler which was not my buddy at the time he was just a, a guy said hey you know you can stay at my house 
we'll find a ride for you. You can use my workshop and we can prep your car and I'll just basically take you under my wing uh, during this. So we did that and we went right to Portugal and ended up third there. So we were the only people to do that. So we would kind of unofficially called ourselves the 2013 Ultra 4 Europe championship their champions because they were those were the only two races and we've placed higher than anybody else so and then in 2014 we actually decided to you know do this thing right we shipped layla back and we actually built a car rob with rob butler of off-road armory over there you know and raced the full series and ended up winning uh three out of the four races over there in europe <laughs> yeah man so rob butler i so the first time i met rob butler was this past year or the year before in your pits i'd never met him before talked to him but it was you had called me man what year was that levi like 2015 or 16 you called and said hey can you go pick up a car from port of houston oh yeah dude i i forgot all about and, that. And, yeah and i'm like yeah man no problem so hook on my trailer and i run over to to the port and uh pick up rob butler's car and there it is sitting in uh whatever you want to call the holding area and these guys are like looking at it like they wanted to come pick it up with a forklift i think it had been forklifted to where it was at and i was like no man i'll just drive it and they're like how do you drive it we looked it doesn't have keys anywhere and i'm like oh no i didn't even know rob's car but i think maybe either you told me how to start it or i figured it out got in turn start it and drove the thing out of there, drove it down the loading dock and loaded it on the trailer. And these guys were just like, that is the craziest car they'd ever seen. I mean, this is the port of Houston. We just don't have off-road cars in Houston. I mean, we're down on the Gulf coast and it's just way look like a fish out of water to them. But yeah, then, you know, I don't even put down ramps off the trailer. I just drive it up on the back of the trailer. These guys were totally floored. And then I put it in a shipping container at my shop until you came down maybe a week later to grab it. But uh -huh. My story about that that's funny is, and it's so, it was an awesome story. You roll up, you've got a, a red three-quarter ton Chevy, I think, or maybe it was a one-ton crew cab. Maybe it was a half ton, I don't know, but I just remember this red Chevy, and you show up in your little 16-foot car hauler, open trailer, and you only had, you had the front axle strapped up with no tires on it. And the tires are strapped down on the bed because you just were saving the mileage on your tires. And so before we could load it, you're like, let me put my tires on my trailer. So you get, you get it on and then you turn around, you head it right back. And you, it was like, I don't know, you woke up that morning, drove all the way to Houston, which is 12 hours for you, and then loaded it and immediately went straight back. And you hit me up the next day like, hey, I made it safe. Like you did it. It was like a 25 hour turnaround. I think you slept in your truck maybe a couple of times, but yeah yeah my my buddy went with me and we took turns and he ended up driving the last like probably third of it because i was like I, I was done I, I was done but yeah no we made it all the way home i remember pulling over because he had to sleep we were 30 minutes from home and he was uh he drove as far as he could we we're just so close to making home he had to pull over for a little snooze but yeah no it was like a crazy crazy turnaround um so yeah so we had to we had to go get that car he raced in king of the hammers in 2015 i want to say he was the first european to ever complete king of the hammers in that class with his own car so kind of a cool story no, it was a, and it was a cool car having it in my own shop, you know, being able to look over it and see how he did things differently, you know, European style or whatever, but, and how the similarities, similarities and the differences. But so now you've, you've engaged him now to build, he's building you your new car right now. So as we talked about the very, you know, like an hour ago or an hour and a half ago, we talked about the very beginning, like you're having this new car built, 
you're having it built over in, in the UK, which seems totally crazy, but I'm going to throw this out there. Why, why I think it's, it's amazing right now. You, you need to look at, you're looking outside the box, right? Where can I, if I do the exact same thing as Paul Horschel, I'm only going to keep up with Paul Horschel. If I do the exact same thing as Eric Miller, I'm only going to keep up with Eric Miller. So I'm going to go completely outside the box. I'm going to go try to get an idea, an idea guy that is completely outside. He's inside, he's inside four, but he's outside way of thinking to see if he, you get an advantage, right? An advantage that these guys have to chase, right? Yeah, like, 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 no, absolutely no, nothing against any builder here in the States. They're, they're all amazing, amazing builders. Uh, but, you know, consequently, when you go to any other builder, you are getting what they want to build. They, they are not building what you want to build. I'm sure there are people that, that probably would, but, you know, uh, Rob Butler at Offroad Army is amazing with SolidWorks and he's amazing with kind of the, just the next level of jig work. He is a one-stop shop man from designing to, you know, cutting his own tube, the CNC stuff. He has his own CNC lathe. I mean, it's just, he is a one-stop shop. So essentially he can design a car, have it all cut, Weld, I mean, do everything himself, dial it all in. It, it ultimately makes an awesome, awesome car. He's building what I want to build. So like I said, like, like I said, we have, we have been over this car for the past year, year and a half, changing stuff, constantly changing stuff on it. Cause we're, we're seeing stuff that works and he's willing to listen and say like, oh, okay, well, wh- wh- why do you want it like that? And I tell him, he's like, oh, okay, well that, that makes sense. Versus just like, no, that's the way we do it. It's he, he, he is an awesome dude that, uh, yeah, ho- hopefully I can uh, kind of have a one-up advantage on some of these other guys. Well, I, I think that's the key to this continually advancing the sport. Either it's from Lauren and Vaughn doing it for marketing or a guy like Paul Horschel or you know, doing it from you know car design or you know, there's so many people that are involved in that, in that level of car design, but getting that, I don't know, learning from like learning from lessons learned, right? Taking what has worked in the past and saying, how can I make it better? And, and, you know, we've seen ultra four cars jump leaps and bounds since you're racing a Schaefer's Diablo with one inch air shocks. That was only 12 years ago. That's not, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you know, I have a 13 year old son, so this is, <laughs> and, and, and he, uh, he, he struggles to brush his teeth in the morning. So that's kind of how I, I, I kind of gauge things in life. And, and, we look at this to where we're at today. We've grown in leaps and bounds, but over the last one, two, three, maybe even four years, the advances in technology have slowed down. Like the curve is is starting to flatten some. So now it's finding that, you know, as I talked to like Eric Miller about, it's like, you know, shifting a cross member an eighth of an inch means I can switch up my transmission one hour faster or what that's where we're at. We're at this really finite finessing of our designs. I find that, you know, super fascinating to see what what you're doing. So currently the car that Rob's building you is it's going to be mid-engine IFS. Yeah. Yep. It's going to be a mid-engine IFS car. So, but it's, we're, we're kind of dubbing it a 1.5 seater, uh, which is kind of unique because it goes back to like the, the old debate, like what's faster, a single seater or a two seater seater or, or whatever. And each track they have different advantages at, you know, two seaters at King of Hammers, you know, historically have a, a, a little better finishing record. And then the single seaters kill it at, at short course. 
So this one we're dubbing the 1.5 seater because that seat, I don't know which one's a, a half a seat, probably mine because I'm a little dude, but uh, the uh, the co-driver seat is not a comfortable position whatsoever. It is a, you know, it, it is a little tiny seat that can be used if I want a, uh, if I want a second person sitting there beside me at the race, like King of Hammers, but 98% of the time I'll be running as a single seater just cause that's what I'm used to with Loretta. And you don't have anybody affecting how you are driving. That's what, that's one thing I've just never really liked about a two seater. And what I've really liked about my single seater is the fact that I can drive my own race. I don't have to worry about hurting anybody, you know, just like, you know, co-drivers in the past, they, they have had families they've got to go home to and put, you know, you know, put, put food on the table for and stuff. And so like in a bad wreck or something like that's always in my mind and how I drive, but knowing that, uh, I can go out there by myself and not have to put anybody else's lives in danger. Yeah. Like that's, that's huge. That's what I love about it. And, and it's funny because you have the co-drivers, like the couple times I've either had a passenger from a legends car to actually going and, uh, driving somebody else's car, you know, you know, for them. Like last year I went over to Europe and ran King of Britain and, uh, Axel Berman's car. I noticed like the co-drivers and stuff, they make these like involuntary noises, like when they're uncomfortable, like they, like if I go into a corner too fast, they hear like, they have like a, (laughs) and it like slows me down. It just screws with me, man. It gets me out of my train of thought. I hate that. So that's what I really, really like about the single seater is just the fact that, uh, I can race my own race, but at a, at a long race, like I said, this new car will have a secondary seat. Did Axel Berman just have a birthday? Well, I'm, I'm sure he has one every year. Well, every um, well, every year. No, I feel like I just saw somebody <laughs> yeah. wish him happy birthday like yesterday. Uh, I, I'm sure. I'm sure he did. I I did not see that actually. I, I will say so. What you wouldn't know about the you know the big seat, little seat. My the last car that I had that I was uh, when I was actively racing on a regular basis. That car had two different size seats. When you looked in the car, the the headrests were the same height, but the passenger seat was two inches shorter. The, the seat bottom was two inches higher because you got a, uh, you got a drive shaft under, under you. That's, uh, that was how that had to happen. So when you looked at the car from the outside, they looked all, they looked normal. But when you got inside, the passenger seat was mounted two inches higher because the passenger seat was two inches shorter. Uh, so, so you, <laughs> that's, kinda, that's the way we're going to be on this, except my, yeah, mine's going to be two, two to five inches taller than my co-driver's seat, uh, just so I can actually see over the hood. <laughs> uh, line of, line of sight so to be a co-driver for you they're going to have to pass some pre-criteria that you can be you can't be over five foot two you need to weigh less than 100 pounds you're kind of borderline getting into having a female co-driver situation like you're you're going to have trouble finding a dude that small <laughs> i will volunteer yeah. blaze melanson he's blaze i don't know if you know blaze but blaze he's co-drove a utv at koh a bunch he's about the only guy i can think of he's he's probably five foot four but he only eats twinkies and ho-hos he does not eat any protein breadsticks he lives on a diet of breadsticks so i don't think you'll find anyone smaller so i'm gonna throw his name out there he'll be like hello y'all co-drive for levi yeah c- come on man come on blaze i i need i need a hand here but now nah, we'll, we'll, we'll make it, make it work. And it's funny. We were talking about shop help earlier and stuff like, you know, consequently I, I had to build my own 
I, I have my son, which I'm going to have in the shop as much as I can. And he'll eventually be the one in the co-driver's seat. So he, hopefully he doesn't grow too fast, but uh, I, I, he's going he's gonna to have to really to be able to uh, co-drive in the next like year or so. They start getting handy around 10, 11, and then you lose them for a couple of years through puberty is what I'm told. I'm currently in the lost <laughs> phase. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping his brain comes back, but I love him, but it's, it's, just, it's currently up his butt. Yeah. And I look at my dad and I'm like, tell my dad, I'm like, how did you deal with me during that age? And he just, he's like, I've purged that from memory. Like, I don't even remember. I remember it was bad. I'm like, okay, good. I mean, I guess that's how it's going to work. Dad and I just like constantly got into it at that age too. Like, like truthfully. So, I mean, that's a very valid point, Levi, as you're talking about like building, building your own and creating your own shop help for the future. Like, so you're planning out 10 years into the future with your, own, with your own kid being your help in the shop. What other lessons learned do you kind of have for, you know, either new guys coming into the sport to glean little nuggets of knowledge of what it's taken you to be an overnight success in just under 10 years and <laughs> maybe even the veterans can look at you and say, you know, what has been, you know, little tidbits that maybe I'm not asking you to open up the Bible and, you know, hit us with everything that, that, that is the Levi playbook, you know, for Levi Shirley racing, but are there anything that just strikes you as how you deal with sponsors or approach sponsorship or something for uh, either a new guy or maybe even a veteran competitor to, to glean to maybe help further their program? Yeah, totally. So I, out of all of everything that I've learned through that, which it has been a trial and error thing, it is, it is to totally be patient through all of that. You know, I, I never open up the door to, 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 uh, to a sponsor and say, I need this much money. It's like, no, you don't approach things like that. Everybody thinks it's, it's like, that's how you do it. Like if you don't ask for it, you're not going to get it. Like, which I see that being part of it. But the main deal is, get your foot in the door under promise and over deliver and uh, just be patient and, and develop those relationships inside of those companies and go from, go from there. You know, a lot of my companies I've been with my entire racing career and it has been a process to, you know, from where I started to where I am now and developing those relationships inside the companies on, on, getting there and getting to that level of like, Hey, you know, maybe there is some cash or, you know, you know, sponsorship available, you know, beyond just product. It, it has taken some serious time to develop those relationships. But like I said, always, always under promise and, and over deliver. That is probably some of the best, the, the, the best advice I can give and, and be, be patient. Like, like it doesn't happen overnight. N nothing happens overnight. Like some people go like, Oh, I, I raced the whole season. Like, why don't I have sponsors? It's like, well, like what did you provide? So you've got to be able to provide a, a service to these companies. And, and I look up to guys like, you know, Von Gitten and Lauren on what they're doing from a marketing standpoint of things going like, Hey, like, where do I need to change my program at and look at like, how are they doing things? And, and I've had some very good conversations with both Vaughn and uh, Lauren on that. Yes. Yeah, I, I constantly see, you know, and this has been brought up by many people, uh, just certainly through COVID we, you know, we saw racing stopped, but marketing did not stop. Marketing did not stop from uh, many people's perspectives, but I will say the one that always got me, I've said it in the past is that Lauren's, ability to continue pushing marketing out for his 
his part partners, we call you can call them sponsors, whatever. I, I'm to the point like on some of these guys, they are definitely partners. You guys have a long standing relationship that you have moved forward with in time and you're constantly giving uh, stuff back to them. Like I saw just Lauren yesterday was at the sand show that ended up getting canceled today for all of that, for uh, non-compliance and what, whatever worked out there, which I'm still, uh, I think us as a country are kind of going to be livid about this type of stuff when we do look back on it. But that Lauren was, you know, had his whole fun haver set up out at the, the sand show. And, you know, he's just always costly working to create that extra value to give back to his partners. And so when he goes back to the table, looking for money for next year, or the following year, or whatever, it's easy for them to have the conversation be like, yeah, man, we saw what you did for us there. Yeah. That's, that's no problem for the ask or, Hey, you're worth it. We just don't have it or something along those lines. I don't, I don't know. So yeah, Levi, I think that's, you know, where you've taken some of these lessons learned from, you know, like Lauren and, and company and applied them to yourselves. Uh, I've really seen, you know, you really have stepped it up in a lot of ways in leveraging what we've seen. Again, guys like Lauren and Von Gitten give back to their sponsors. Uh, you've certainly not a slouch in giving back. I can open social media and see Levi Shirley stuff on the regular, but you know, one of the lessons learned that I've seen out of that is, uh, you know, what those guys do is, you know, again, Lauren out at Sancho is he's out mixing with uh, the crowd doing autographs. And I mean, I've seen you, you out doing the same, you know, giving autographs, but there's a, uh, I mean, there's some lessons learned around autographs no? Yeah, no, absolutely. Just getting out there, you know, you know, getting involved with your fans. Like I, I'm always, I, I'm a sucker for kids, right? Like, I give away more body panels than I keep because like, and, and also like, what am I going to do with those body panels? Like, like nothing. So, I mean, I am a sucker on just like getting that younger generation involved um, because without that younger generation, we do not have uh, a future sport, you know? So getting those kids involved are, 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 are huge. And who, who do we see start doing that? Like on the regular, you can always see this guy doing it. Who was that guy? Uh, 110% Shannon Campbell. I, I have seen that guy give away his national trophies to kids, you know, like, like that is just like not such a selfless act right there. Completely, completely. I mean, and so he gave my son, uh, his hard charger hat from, from Davis, Oklahoma, you know, a couple of years ago. And my son will bust that out, you know, randomly. And, you know, this past, it was the week before COVID kind of hit in March. We were in Florida. We were on South Beach and we were having dinner at a restaurant in South Beach. The Clevelander actually was where we were, we were eating. And it was a party. It was spring break was going on. So there's people partying all around us. My son's wearing his hard charger hat. So I had to, you know, t- take pictures of it, you know, close up headshots of him and text to Shannon and be like, Look at this. Look at this clown. <laughs> he's wearing your hard charger hat down here on South Beach, you know, just because he still enjoys it. The kid still enjoys it. You know, it's still he knows where it came from and what it took to earn that. And uh, at least my kid appreciates it. Yeah. Heck yeah. I think most of them do. I really do. But you uh, you uh, I, I kind of segued there and I didn't you know hold you to it there. Uh, lessons learned on autographs. You have a pretty terrible story about doing an autograph that kind of didn't go the right way yeah yeah probably easily one of my most embarrassing stories that i have ever been involved with so this year at king of the hammers we're heading through tech and contingency and this, uh, 
this lady comes up to me with her kids, you know, saying like, and I have my posters there saying like, you know, can you sign these for me? I'm like, yeah, no, yeah, no, no problem. Like I have no problem, you know, signing these posters, whatever. Well, she said, you know, you can sign my back. And that's what I heard is like, oh, you want me to sign your, 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 your back? Like, oh, okay, weird. But yeah, whatever. I mean, I've signed t-shirts before. So I whip out my uh, permanent marker and sign her shirt. And then she hands me another poster thinking I just signed a poster on her back. And I was like, oh, and by that time it clicked, like what she said and what she wanted she just wanted me to use her back to sign her kids' posters, not actually sign her back. And I just got beat red in the face. And it was like, like I said, easily one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done. It was like, oh my gosh, you said you you said to actually use your back to sign the posters, not actually. You didn't want your shirt signed. And it was like not even a race shirt or whatever. It was like a regular tank top or something. Like, and I was just like red man and embarrassed and her kids thought it was hilarious i'm like you guys have got to come by my pits here let me hook up your entire family with ls81 shirts because like that's how embarrassed i was and so they came by about an hour later and i hooked them all up but yeah that was a hilarious story yeah i mean well they and now they have a story it's certainly memorable they i mean burned uh levi shirley into their into their uh their psyches <laughs> <laughs> yeah, de- definitely. <laughs> so, exactly. So, so what was all the the future for Levi Shirley? I mean, we've got you know, obviously nationals just happened this past weekend. I hope you won. I hope you put it on the box. There's a lot of other people I'm pulling for as well because uh, I mean, I like the whole field to be honest with you. I just want to see good racing, good fun racing. I want to see people having a good time. I want you know, drink drink beers with you, or I will have drank beers with you at the point everyone's listening to this. But uh, as we look forward to Koh 21. What are we kind of expecting? Your new car will not be done by then. So what's kind of the, we didn't, we kind of skipped that. What's the timeline and the, the event horizon on it kind of showing up on the scene? My projection and my goal right now are probably, I'll probably February, March of uh, 2021 is when I'm officially get that new car and really start working on it. I'm a believer that Loretta can win King of the Hammers. It's a great car. I'm so comfortable in it. I mean, I was like super close this year. I, I believe I was one of the fastest cars there. So I want to go out this next year and prove that that car can win King of the Hammers. And I'm also a firm believer in a race car is not a good car until it is at least two or three years old. You know, all these cars have what we call new car blues. And so, you know, with that, I don't want to put an entire season on a new car just yet. I want to get out there and I want to get testing on it. And I, uh, I, I definitely, my goal is to win, you know, another national championship. Like I said, I don't, I don't think that car is going to be contender until possibly the second or third year till we kind of work some of the blues out of it. Well, you just got put miles on it, put miles down there in the Arkansas river bottom down the wash, run it out and then break it down, put it back together, figure out what works, what doesn't work. You know, just keep doing that, keep doing that. And then, uh, then, then she'll finally be ready versus what we've seen. You know, we always see those guys that show up with the brand new car at hammers with no test time. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a tough, like, just like racing ultra before in general is, is a pretty tough timeline. Right. So like we race year round, it seems like, like we are getting ready to wrap up here, you know, our season here, it's the end of October. Uh, then we're going to have about a 
two month break is all, if you really even call that a break. And then we're going to be into 2021. So the season goes so long and it starts so early that there are hardly any time. I mean, there's very, very little idle time because you have family holidays in the sense, you know, right in the middle of that. And so that is really the only time we as ultra four racers ever get a break to even produce a new car is before our Super Bowl, which happens to be our first race of the year. It's kind of crazy. It's it's backwards, but it it is what it is. And it's been this way for a long time. And I just don't see that ever changing. Yeah, you know, if I had if I had a choice, I, I, I wish that King of the Hammers would be pushed back about a month. I think that would give us more time with our families. Uh, holidays so we didn't have to because i mean there's so many holidays like you know thanksgiving and christmas and new year's where i'm in the shop because i know king the hammers is coming right up and there is no time to waste so it's kind of unfortunate that you know we kind of have to we have to do that so but in the same aspect i know there's people probably out there listening going like dude you could push that race two months and there's still nobody would be ready for it so you might as well just get it over with in february and quit whining (laughs) i I was just gonna play that devil's advocate i'm brought i'm glad that you brought it up on your own (laughs) so uh so next future we kind of talked about yeah you and miranda maybe thinking about uh you know a little little play buddy for dawson that sounds uh pretty exciting you've got a new car in the works you know hopefully with a new car comes maybe uh you know better finishes more lucrative sponsorship deals right? The ability to hire, uh, hire help, move the program to the next level. Those all fair futuristic goals for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is definitely, you know, my, my goal. I know it's possible. Just kind of got to stick my head down and do it, um, and commit. Yeah. Good, good things happen when you commit, I think. Oh, I I'm a firm believer. Well, Hey, Levi, I want to thank you. Thank you again for coming on the talent tank as we're, uh, we ran through everything I planned to cover today. Did we bust out everything that you uh, wanted to share with the world? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I have had a blast talking to you, Wyatt. Uh, thank you for having me on. Look forward to maybe doing a uh, another another podcast in the future with you. Oh yeah, we'll cir- we'll circle back as you get the dust and uh, the issues worked out and the bugs worked out off of uh, this new car, and you start having success in it, man. Levi, I hope you had success on this past Saturday, you know, a couple days ago. I do look forward to having a beer with you this week. Guys, I hope you guys uh, really enjoyed uh, this episode uh, number 36 of uh, of the Talent Tank and listening to uh, my good buddy Levi Shirley out of uh, Dodge City, Kansas, racing the number 81 Ultra 4 car. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Come back next week. We're out. Thank you for listening and taking a dive into The Talent Tank. Please like and subscribe on Instagram at The Talent Tank or our website, thetalenttank.com.